Welcome to Wanda Sticks, a Black Arts and Cultural Program of the African Sisters Media Network. And that was Zion Trinity singing opening prayer to the African deity, Eshu Legba, the deity that lets us know that we always have choices. We are never victims. And so we should take a breath, pause, and exercise our options. Don't let anyone rush us into any kind of rash decisions because we always have options. We are never victims. And today we are going to open the show with a rebroadcast of the interview um, with the directors of the film Soar, Torian Soar. Um, and uh, that film is going to have its, uh, its world premiere, perhaps? Um, yeah, this, uh, this Sunday, June 9th, 2.30 p.m. at the Roxy Theater. The directors, uh, Peter um, Mancini and Audrey Candy Korn, um, have put together a really, really beautiful film, and it's going to be followed by a community discussion. Um, and uh, if you, I don't know, I think this might be my second or third time, <laughs> um, well, second time rebroadcasting because the show was, um, the interview was aired live last week. But um, anyway, my guest is uh, that I thought I was going to have. She is not in the studio, so I'm going to go ahead and just play this, and uh, and then we're going to have our, um, uh, William Rhodes uh, on the air to talk about a new project that um, he is going to be debuting next week. Yeah. <laughs> what is month is speeding by. And um want to let folks remind people that this weekend is uh, – the uh, International Libation for African Ancestors of the Middle Passage, and uh, and their descendants, which are those of us that are here in the present, and uh, we're pouring at 9 a.m. Pacific time here in the in the Pacific uh, time Pacific region. And uh, so, if you're in New York, or it's 12 noon, and if you're in Central Time, it's 11. And we're going to be meeting over at Lake Merritt. Um, by the fountain, 18th and East East 18th and Lakeshore Drive, and then um, after that, there's going to be a Juneteenth also at Lake Merritt, but by the Boathouse at 11. So you can make a day of it. And then tomorrow afternoon, I'm highly recommending that folks get on over to 
the Roxy for the SF Documentary Film Festival's um, presentation of the film Bill Trailer, Chasing Ghosts, uh, directed by Jeffrey Wolf, and that's at 2.30, and that is a really wonderful film about an artist, um, Bill Trailer, who was born into slavery in 1854, and later on, when he was in his 80s, he started creating art. And Trailer's art is the sole surviving body of work made by a black artist of his era, and he made well over a thousand drawings and paintings on discarded cardboard between 1939 and 1942. Um, and so that film is really, really, really well done, and I highly recommend it. And I had an interview with the director, and uh, perhaps we'll, I think I might do a special broadcast tomorrow and play that interview so you can sort of, I don't know, um, uh, get a feel for what's in store uh, well, what's coming up for the uh, the screening? And there are two screenings. One is um, on the Saturday, and the next uh, screening is going to be. Uh, let's see, when is the second screening? There's going to be two. Um, I'm not seeing the other right now. <laughs> so anyway, try to make the one on on um, Saturday at 2:30 at the Roxy. Okay. Without further ado, I've been rambling. Uh, here is. Um, just it's actually we're not going to be able to play all of it, but we'll play 25 minutes of this 40-minute um, conversation with the directors of Soar, Torian Soar. Good morning and welcome to Wanda's Picks, a Black Arts and Cultural Program of the African Sisters Media Network, and that was Zion Trinity singing opening prayer to the African deity Eshu Legba. A deity that lets us know that we always have choices. We are never victims. And we are continuing our coverage of San Francisco Documentary Film Festival, which just started yesterday. Today, with a special broadcast, we're going to be featuring directors and um, uh, subjects who, um, who have work in this particular festival, which is having its... Um, Hmm, I have to ask uh, our guest, which anniversary is it? Let me look at my notes. Good morning. Is this um, Peter uh, Mincini and, and Audrey Candycorn? Yes, it's Peter Mincini and Audrey Candycorn. Yes, oh, good morning. How are both of you doing? We're great. Doing well. Excellent, excellent. So what anniversary um, for SF Doc is this? I'm looking at my for my program. Ah, 18. Whoa, that's pretty awesome. Oh, good, because you don't have it right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it's so wonderful to have you all, um, you know, um, presenting um, this really important, important film, um, uh, Soar, Torian Soar. I mean, it's like, wow, um, Audrey, you really you know, really share, you know, what a mother's grief looks like. Oh, my goodness. Mm. Mm -hmm. Really, really intense. Really, really intense. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, and your film um, is screening, um, I believe, this weekend, right? June 9th at the Roxy at 2.30 oh, in okay. the afternoon. That's a Sunday. Okay. Yeah, next Sunday. Yeah, and 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 afterwards, there's going to be opportunity for uh, audiences to to be able to process. So you're going to have um, an on-stage interview and community Q and A with both of you, 
um, I mm-hmm. guess conducted by Otis Taylor Jr. Yes. Uh huh. That's yeah. correct. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So, so tell the audience about about the film and and how the two of you um, came together. Um, uh, and so you know, um, Audrey, you're 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 uh, the way that you wanted to to be really public. And and what does it mean for a mother to lose a child? It sort of reminds me of um, of um, gosh, I'm drawing a blank now. Um, Emmett Till's. Well, don't you worry, sister. I could just jump right on in and help you because I am my sister's keeper. How about that, huh? (laughs) Yeah. Um, But I was thinking about Emmett Till's Emmett Till's mother, um, and and you being like like his mother in not wanting to hush up. Um, you know her mm-hmm. son's killing and and mm-hmm. making it really public so that the nation would know and the com- community and the nation would know what it meant to lose a child and I don't know if you were thinking about that um, after the fact but um, and maybe maybe you could comment on that um, Peter uh, after um, Audrey shares this this you know how you all met and and the reason why you all made this work. Yeah. Well, thank you, Sister. Um, First of all, um, I would like to say that I am appreciative to be on your platform, so I I would like to say that, and I'm appreciative to all of your viewers and your fans and just the community as a collective, you know, Um, each one teach one reach one, and to just pretty much sum it up, um, I am a grieving, yet a breathing mother. That's kind of... um, phrase or um, like a sentence that I kind of like to say or I've coined because um, what I have faced and the trauma that I'm dealing with is um, something that I'll be dealing with with the rest of my life and although my story um, is unique it is very singular you know um, I have been inherited into a sea of grieving mothers unfortunately but the beauty of it is, is through the pain, the Soar to a Young Soar short documentary film was birthed. And um, just really quickly, Peter and I had the opportunity to meet, and um, we actually met on Valentine's Day. <laughs> and... Um, I'll save that story for a little bit later, but we met on Valentine's Day, and uh, I approached Peter, and um, here we are. We've been working on Sortorium Soar because it is a part of my healing. This is um, my journey, and those who have the opportunity to chime in, um, they also have the luxury of turning it off or not listening or turning, you know, a blind eye, but for myself, I'm continuing to be in the struggle with every day waking up, being reminded that I'm a current mother of two remaining surviving male children who are current targets, you know, and um, it's not because of them being menaces to society, it is because I've done everything that society has asked me to do, and now it is time for the community to pour in. You know, you have to be the change that you want to see. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would say yeah. that um, what's really important to note first is that we made a lot of decisions without talking about it out loud. We, mm-hmm. 
in retrospect, we say, oh, yeah, we agreed that uh, this film would just be very honest and very present and that we would pull no punches but also have no melodrama and uh, nothing gratuitous and um, that it, it wouldn't drag anything out. But on the other hand, it would not shut down a mother's grief. It would not silence her voice. There's only one problem with me saying that, though, is we didn't discuss that in advance. We just both immediately knew that's what we wanted. And after the film was done, we start talking about it, and we realize there's this actual list of things that we agreed on without saying out loud. Mm-hmm. Um, so it is kind of... Uh, it, it, people discussing the film need to be just a little bit careful about saying, oh, they wanted to make a film like this. Yes, we did, but it was in the back of our heads, not the front of our heads. There was just so much where we just connected and we complimented each other. Um, I'm pretty linear and she's pretty spatial in her intelligence. <clears throat> and so it just worked out um, really well. And, and then... Um, the kind of magic of the film happened after that, if I may go on just for another second. Um, because we had that attitude, we found out that the film just starts all these conversations with people um, because we would show the film, the rough cut, people to get feedback, and we would show it to people of color, and they'd all say, oh, yeah, that's our life. Um, that's the way it is. And... Uh, you know, they had a couple of little minor suggestions or something, but that's it. And then we showed it to very educated um, white people, even people who work in anti-racism, and they often said, um, you have to cut some of the suffering. You have to at least cut mm-hmm. away from her face, we heard. Uh, and, of course, we didn't do that. We didn't change any of those things. But what it did do is it started all these conversations. Why do people of color have one response and you folks had a different one, what does that mean? Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, wow, that's interesting. Um, and I don't know, the process uh, of making the film, it seems really um, sort of really fluid. Um, I mean, there are these moments mm-hmm. when, um, I mean, you're you're going through your, your son's belongings and um, and, and there's, there's ritual, um that's a part of it because as you go through mm-hmm. the belongings, you're telling stories um, and then sorting things and mm-hmm. um, learning to let go again um, because these items have, um, you know, they're attached to memory, which is attached to your mm-hmm. son and to the family. Right. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, but then, but then, like right, right when you're in the process of actually sorting through these items because they've been accumulating and you have too many. Um, all over the right. house and bags, um, there'll be like just a window in, the, you know, in in uh, as a part of the the screen. And I don't know how you do that, uh, Peter, but it's really, really a different way of of, of filming. I mean, it's stylistically, yeah. It's like, and and it'd be like, this is where I am right in this moment. I am so sad, and I'm like, wow. And you do that a few times. And I was wondering if you sort of talk mm-hmm. about stylistically how you all, you know, do this you know, the choices you made and and how it ends up being just 20 minutes because it could have been longer, right? And what was the very last question? How did it end the, up the being 20 end? minutes? Like, what were your decisions? Because it could have been longer, but it's just right. 
Thank you. It's yeah, 30 minutes, and uh, there's definitely enough footage to make a feature film there if we wanted to. But, yeah, we did want it to mm-hmm. be succinct. Um, we feel it's more powerful that way. Yeah. And um, mm-hmm. if I might add, it was very important um, without us giving too much away because we do want people to come and check um, the documentary out if possible. But it was very important for us to show the healing that I'm mm-hmm. going through in a non-traditional way. We didn't want to go about things in a traditional manner um, because of the fact that I'm going to speak for myself. Before this, I was not a, considered to be a film director. And so not only is this story about me, but I also now hold the title of being a film director, co-film director with Peter Manichini. And mm-hmm. so um, for myself, all of this is new to an extent, you know, uh, based on my creativity. I often tell people everything that you need is already inside of your DNA. We just have to tap into it, you know. And so it was just very important for us to show me healing in a non-traditional way, and those non-traditional ways are some of the um, images and some of the scenes that that you're talking about, you know. Um, Even there's a scene with um, the fire, and I won't go too far into that, you know. Um, There's a scene with the shadow. I won't go too far into that. But all of these um, scenes are actual spaces in my life where I was um, having a break and I either needed a breakthrough or I was going to be broken down. So um, with that being said, we just thought that if we gave what we had, we wouldn't be bothered with how people saw it or thought about it because, again, originally it was not for the world. It was for me. Um, for my memory so that I can remember my deceased son and so that I can have um, proof of my footsteps. And so um, so often African-Americans, sometimes we don't have things to pass on to our children or we don't have money. And so I decided that this could be a gift of legacy and a gift of tapestry that I can give to my children and myself. Mhm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I was um I was, you know, thinking about about the uh the log line, it takes a community to heal, Ashe. And um yeah. and and so I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about that as well as as talk about um, you know, your son Torian, tell us about him and also tell us about your other two sons, because your family, I just love um, just as you're walking and just being with your children, you know, just the affection that everyone has for one another, like the boys hold hands, and with Torian, the pictures and videos you have of, of him, he's holding his, his siblings, and, and you're hugging, and it's just really beautiful. Okay, well, thank you so much, sister. Um, I think I'll pass the first two questions to Peter as far as the tagline 
and then I'll chime in on the last two questions. Is that okay? Oh, certainly, certainly. Okay. All right, Tisha, sure. how do we come with the tagline community? Yeah, we we finished the film, and I said, Candy um, Corn, that every film has a, a log line, the little statement that's generally at the bottom of the movie poster. And, you know, we'd worked so long together, and I've done a lot of activist work with a lot of people, anti-eviction, anti-war, anti-racism, anti-police violence, and I've met too many um, grieving mothers um, and uh, worked with the uh, Bluebird Foundation um, or with um, Idris Stelly. And so I said, well, what if we said it takes a community to heal, Ashe? And it just struck. It, it just, like, needed to be said, and then it really kind of brought everything together. That's really when we had lots of community people come and help us with the film, and we really felt like there was all this community power. So I don't want to go too far with that, but it was almost like this magical thing. As soon as we started saying that, um, all kinds of great stuff started happening with us. Mm -hmm. um, but, yeah, those are great questions about uh, Candy Corn and her sons. Those are the, that was really striking to me. Everything that you said, I completely agree. Um, thank you, Peter Minichini. Um Wow, I I really don't know where to start because um, with the boys, they are just so amazing. And I'm not saying that because of my children, but uh, like I mentioned in the film, everywhere I go, people are always praising me um, due to Amir and Zaire. And it's important for me to give that credit back to them because it first starts with them children come here with their own personalities let's get that straight and then based on that you know we can kind of uh, massage it but they come here you know the way that they are and so for my children they are very loving and nurturing and gentle young men and so when I saw that in them it was important for me to continue to help them develop that because I knew the world that they lived in would immediately try to strip them of that. Um, the world that we live in, males don't hold hands, and you probably won't see two brothers holding hands. You might see two lovers holding hands, you know. And so love is love across the board. Relationships are relationships that are meant to be valued, and it first starts with the I. It first starts then, secondly, with the family and then the community. But going back to what Peter was saying as far as the tagline, I just want to chime in. Um, we also thought once it all came together as far as it takes the community to heal our shame, and which means and so it is and so it shall be. Wonderful, magical things did begin to happen, but I always knew in the back of my mind um, that I also had shared with Peter and we've been, we know each other, you know, that I have shifted away from saying community and started building on the word village. The word community is simply people stacked on top of each other or living around each other based on um, finances 
and geographically being trapped to where you have been put based where your parents placed you. And if you haven't been able to migrate outside of that city or that town due to economics or being trapped in your mind, the the chances is you're just stuck. So for me, um, I move away from community, and that's part of the reason why in the Q&A we're going to speak. It takes a community to heal, yes, but what I found is actually it takes a village because within that community is where you find the healing, and then within that community there's going to be a village that draws out to you. And these are going to be the people that are going to not be your fans, but they're going to be your supporters and your helpmates. And they're not just going to be people that you know. And they're people that are invested in you, the human being, not the project. And that's what the difference is. Your village is people that you eat with, you sleep with, you break bread with, you commune with. And so I have shared this with my children as I have seen who they are. And um, Torian actually asked when he was two if he could have a brother, sister. I said, boy, you got to pick one. Mama can't have a brother and a sister for you. And so he said he wanted a brother. I told him, <laughs> if you um, be um, um, continue to be a good child of God, continue to be a good boy, be good to me, be good to the daddy that you have, I will give you a brother. So this little boy for four years straight was excellent to everybody in the world, and I had to keep my word because I knew that this would be the very first bond. And moving forward, um, I had a mirror, and they never fought. I never had to deal with sibling rivalry. When a mirror came, a mirror said, I want a brother. I said, you got a brother. He said, I want to be a big brother. I said, will you be good to the brother you got? You be good to continue to be good to me, be good to the daddy that you got, and continue to be a child of God. Well, this little boy continued to ask me and duplicate the same pattern that his elder brother, Torian, had um, started. And mm-hmm. so four years later, here it is, actually five, because they're all five years apart, Torian and Mary mm-hmm. Zaire. Here it is, Zaire comes. I'm like, and I, I, now here it is. That's why I say the black woman is a god. <laughs> With a little G, no blasphemy, we birth the nation. So I gave birth to these fine three young little human beings. And um, when Zaire came, which is my last child, he said, I want a, a brother. I say, you've got a brother. you got two brothers. What do you mean? I'm not going to have a football field. And I, I just might give you guys a girl, you know, because I'm feeling kind of doubtful. <laughs> and um, I did not go forth and give a fourth child. Torian, I had at 17 years of age. He died at 17 years of age five days before Christmas, December 20th, 2015. It's been three years and five months. And um, the reason why is because... You're sounding... Um, Audrey, you're a little, your, your voice is a little far away. I, I can't hear you as clearly anymore. Oh, I'm sorry. Can you hear me now? Yeah. Is this mm-hmm. better? Okay. Yeah, it's a lot better. Um, so I had, I'm sorry. I had given all three brothers their wishes, 
Each brother mm-hmm. had the brother that they had asked for after five years. <laughs> Torian mm-hmm. asked for Amir. Amir asked for Zaire. And Zaire asked for a brother. Well, I had ran out of names, and I didn't think I had the ability in me to um, birth a, a boy. A girl might have came. <laughs> so I said, you know, you guys continue to be good to each other, and I think that um, I'm going. I'm going to cut cut off at this point. Well, moving forward, I had Torian at the tender age of 17. I am now 37 years of age. Torian died at the age of 17, five days before Christmas, December the 20th, 2015. So I am grateful that um, I listened to Torian. Because if I had not listened to him asking for a brother, I would not have Amir and I would not have Zaire. And now Amir and Zaire both have the um the the, the gift that they wanted. Um, Amir always wanted to be a big brother, and so now he actually has you know the gift. We didn't expect for it to be like this. But Torian is our great ancestor, and we know that he is looking down on us, and we are definitely grateful for the opportunity to share him and our family's messaging. Mm, nice, nice. Yeah, yeah. So that's and, why and Torian, so close. Right, right. And Torian, um, this is his twenty. This would have been his twenty-first year, right? He would have been twenty-one this year. Yeah. Yeah. Right, right, yeah, mhm, yeah. Um, I I wanna um share share your each of your some of your bios. Um, uh, Audrey uh, Candy Corn, you are a a leader in the West Oakland African American community, having not only founded Taz T A Z Foundation, but you're also well known for your work with Poor Magazine, Homefulness, and Decolonized Academy. Uh, you currently work closely with the Hashtag Love Life Foundation, uh, Donald Lacey, um, yeah. which provides youth mentoring, services, and education. And uh, as a mother dedicated to moving your family's life forward in a positive way, you have worked as a fashion model, and we see some of those photos of you looking so lovely and fabulous. Oh, uh, comedian, uh, public Thank access you. cable show producer, and you have a large archive of video footage of your family's challenges, and you will be making more movies in the future. So we are so looking forward to that. <laughs> and and Peter uh, Men, uh, uh-huh. Men, uh, Mencini, uh, you are Men- based in San Francisco, and you are a filmmaker, activist, embedded with activists since 2011. And I just love reading about what you've been up to over these many years. Um in fighting for social justice, you have often risked arrest during uh, building takeovers and street protests as you've used your videography to fight economic injustice, climate change, corruption, and racism. You have worked with Occupy San Francisco, Last 3%, uh, Mario Woods Coalition, Rising Tide North America, Greenpeace, Justice for Alex, uh, is it Natio or Nato? How do you pronounce Nieto. his last name? Nieto. Seattle, thank you. Yeah. Um, ACCE, um, Archbishop uh, F.W. King of the John Coltrane Church, Poor Magazine, yeah. the Frisco Five, and too many others to count. 
And now you're looking yeah. to donate your eight terabytes of historic video footage you recorded to a historical society, and you want your next project to be a fictional feature film you've been working on since you were a child. Like, wow. Yeah. So have you found um, a place to donate this historic? So you'll have to tune in, um, not tune in, but you have to go listen to the rest of that great interview in the archives because our next guest whom we haven't had on the show in a long time, um, William Rose. Good morning. Good morning. How are you? Oh, I'm fine. Gosh, it's been, I don't know, it feels like almost a year or so since we last had you on the show to talk about what you've been up to. Because uh, we used to have you on a lot, and, and then you got really busy, and you've been traveling all over the country and all over the world, and yeah, and you're really good with letting me yeah. know where you are, but we haven't been able to pin well, anything down. You. It's like, oh my goodness! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, thanks for having yeah. me on so your you, show. Oh, no problem with no notice. Like you're like, oh yeah, I can do that. That's cool. <laughs> <laughs> so it's really wonderful that you can join us to talk about, you know, your um, opening. You uh, joined the Harlem of the West Immersive Art Experience on the 13th from six to nine at the African American Art and Culture Complex. And in this wonderful um, uh, African-American senior narrative quilt project, because um, you've been doing a whole lot in textiles, and when I first met you, you were doing, um, you know, your your sculptural, sculptural work, you know, in, in, you know, traditional woodworking and joinery, and, and there would always be mirrors and all kinds of really interesting things going on. And, and then now you're yeah. just working in all these different mediums. Yes, yes. And I'm, I'm, I've actually yeah. figured out a way to kind of incorporate all of these mediums together. So, so you're going to mm-hmm. still see the elements of wood and, and, and joinery and, and building and everything else incorporated in these pieces as well. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah. And so um, I was looking for a bio, and I'm thinking, okay. And then I had one from 2018. It's like, wow. That's a nice one, um, but I didn't know exactly which one. <laughs> you might want me to read. Did you send me something? I'm I'm sorry. Did you send me something else, or or do you want me to read? Um, I mean, if, yeah, yeah. Feel free to read what you have currently. Okay. All right. No problem. So William Rose is a sculptural artist trained in traditional woodworking, as we already mentioned, and joinery, with a fine arts background. Rose blends fine art, craft, and design with meaning and function. His work explores themes of hidden knowledge, iconographic imagery, and forms, and how they can change meaning depending on the cultural context. And and I want to throw in here, um, I know with your your work at some arts, you know, for the Dia de los Muertos exhibits um, in the fall, um, you know, in uh, September, October, you've also incorporated light. And so your your yeah. pieces, they they like they light up and they have words in them, and and sometimes you know they're they're like in a, in a box or something. You know they have these containers, so that's also different. Um, you know from when I first met you, they your 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 pieces didn't have light. I mean they have light because you know 
they reflected kind of like, but they didn't actually light up like neon. <laughs> which is what people yes, do. yes, like, yes. Okay, this is cool. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, sure. And I remember when you went to South Africa and, and you were working with the young people there and um, in um, Cape Town and you were doing all this work, you know, in the um, – uh, the shanty towns and and uh, and and you were I think you were on my show to talk about that um, and this seems yeah. like you know with your work with the intergenerational because you just finished this really wonderful collaboration with a uh, a wonderful artist that I didn't get a chance to meet maybe you might want to talk about that a little bit but it seems like you're and you you're you know you're something ground you do a lot of things in Bayview Hunters Point with young people. But now you're working with elders and, and, and linking the younger folks with the elders and they're swapping stories and they're making art like jewelry and they're doing stuff with glass, which is what, what happened, you know, with the um, uh, the, the workshops. I'm like, whoa, yes. this is pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thanks. Yeah, with Joyce Scott, Joyce J. Scott. Yes. She was the artist that I did that, yeah, worked with. Right, right, yeah, yeah, and uh, in in your you write in your bio that the catalyst for your constant evolution has been your travels, including Africa, Asia, and Central and South America, um, and and you've been you've traveled in Europe too, right? Oh yeah, extensively, and and I'm actually doing a workshop. Uh, it, it's going to be one once a year. It's actually a workshop retreat mm-hmm. in Italy. Yeah. Uh, it's it's called the That's Italian Workshop. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, I was going to say Italy, and then I'm like, because I, I read all your, your, your emails that you send me, uh, and I'm like, I think you're well, doing something in Italy. Yeah, you are. <laughs> so, so talk <laughs> about this, this fabulous, like, sort of um, party that you're throwing, you know, sort of like taking folks back in the day in Fillmore when Fillmore had all these musical venues and things were hot and you got film or slim coming through live oh my gosh and then you got this yes, beautiful yes. textile work that you're going to be debuting so tell us about what's going on what's going to be happening so it, it it's a um i call it a complete art experience because um <laughs> you're going to have the actual exhibition inside of the african-american in their gallery which is called the sergeant johnson gallery you're going to have the, the quilt, which has portraits and images of the seniors, African-American seniors in the Bayview and also in the Fillmore area. And mm. I also included some of the neon, I should say, pieces that are mixed with sculpture, neon glass, uh, not neon lighting, and also textile, if you can imagine that. All of that's incorporated in some of these pieces. So mm. um, you're going to get to see that. But then the actual uh, opening is going to include this party, which you announced earlier, which is called Juke City, Harlem of the West. That show, uh, that party is going to be where we, we have, like you said, um, Fillmore Slim's going to be doing his blues. We're going to have a variety of seniors that are going to be able to share their stories, interact with young mm-hmm. people. We're going to have interviews that young people will do with seniors. We have a casino set up. Uh, we're not going to – I'm letting you folks know now, we're not going to be doing actual gambling, so, so don't worry. But, we're, but you can win prizes or win tickets. 
We're going to have mm. a, um, a, a surprise show, which I don't want to announce. I want people to come and actually be surprised. And uh, we encourage dancing. We're going to have food, drinks, and we encourage people to uh, wear their cool clothes from the, if they have any styles from the 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, they could wear it because we're going to have a photo booth so you can get your picture taken. Mm. So all of this is taking place, and it's absolutely free. And it's going to be an amazing, wow. amazing night. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So tell us about, you know, your your this intergenerational storytelling um, theme or uh, that sort of runs through a lot of your work recently. Like I'm saying, in the past, you know, several years, you've you've been doing things like this, and um, and then the yeah. focus. On these areas of of San Francisco that have a rich um, African American um, history, um, and these elders, you know, some of them are still around, and then the link the young people with them. Tell us sort of where this comes from, because I know you're not a San Francisco native, but you've been here a while. Um, I have. Where are you from? <laughs> uh, ba- uh, Baltimore originally. Right. But I've been here yeah, for eleven yeah. years. Mm-hmm. Right, right. And then your own, um, if I'm remembering correctly from other conversations, you know, just the whole idea of, of art that's functional, you know, and being an artisan, you know, a builder, you know, working with, you know, materials like wood, you know, that's that's a that's a real durable um, uh, medium, you know, as opposed to like paper, yeah. which doesn't last as long. Yes, yeah. And, and, and you talked about that, you know, sort of the material aspect of the art that you do and now you're working with thread like okay that's interesting the contrast you know thread yes. And wood. <laughs> yes 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 well well I should say um what really started my journey um obviously this quilt project and just really spending time connecting with many of the elders uh in the community and just hearing their stories and just being really blown away by just their history, their stories, and just really what San Francisco, how, what part they played into creating the San Francisco which we live in today. Um, and from that, from this project, the Quilt Project, I was invited to work with uh, Dr. George W. Davis, uh, Senior Center, and I, I've been working with them, and I'm actually um, a person that actually helps with facilitating programming. So I actively go out and find programs and develop creative ways for young people and seniors to work together. Mm-hmm. And the amazing thing is this came out of the quilt project. So it's not like I was doing this first. I started the quilt project. I started the dialogue uh, with the seniors, interviewing them, meeting them, connecting. And then from there it turned into now where that's actually what I do, facilitate uh, programming for that. Mm-hmm. Nice, nice, yeah, yeah, and and so, how does that sort of tie into your own work? I mean, how did you evolve into the kind of art that you're doing now? Because when I met you, like a lot of years ago, um, I don't know how many, but it's been a minute. Because um, I've seen, a, I think mm-hmm. it was at the um, the art gallery in in Oakland. That's like a big warehouse. I think it's called Warehouse Something Something Something. It's like three numbers. That's the uh, place yeah, where you first yeah. saw your work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and, and 
you know, your work is wonderful, and all your work has stories. I mean, I think about the wonderful um, work that you had at the San Francisco uh, Main Library, you know, the Mama Wata series, and, you know, your work, I mean, because you're a storyteller, like your work always has a story. <laughs> um, but, yes, yes. But, you know, but you weren't working with young people, you weren't working with elders, so how did, how did you sort of evolve into the uh, artists that we know now? Because you also started the um, the collective, you know, that sort of notes how many black people are in San Francisco at the time when you co-founded the collective. I don't know what the number is now. <laughs> but, you know, yeah, you, you, have yeah. like, you have these regular gatherings bringing black artists together to have shows, to have gatherings. Like, we are here. Like, we actually have property here. We are, like, in the town, and we're not going anywhere. Yes. Yes. Well, I, I really think it became, it was a journey, you know, with all of my work, it's a journey to really tell the stories, um, tell the narratives of people that don't really have a voice. Mm-hmm. And I think it's really important to get that out there. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, I think what happens so often is, you know, we're in a society where everything's about the new. You know, the young, the latest, the new, that's pretty much the focus. And you disregard, you know, what the foundation it helped you get to that new. So I think with all of my work, I really feel that there's a need to really talk about that foundation. And now working with the seniors, um, I absolutely see the importance of it. And and I see in San Francisco, being an African-American senior, I mean, you're pretty much invisible in this city. And, you know, people just have no idea the richness that these seniors can give to a community. And especially when you link them with young people, because young people, they have innovation, ideas, excitement, energy, but sometimes they may not necessarily have the direction or actually know because they don't have life experience. And when you put the two together, the senior with the young person, then you create this amazing laboratory of, of like ideas and excitement. Mm-hmm. Oh, I can't hear you anymore. Oh, can can you hear me? Can, yeah, I hear you, you now, you but when you, after you said ideas, I didn't hear anything after that. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. It it may be my connection. But um but yeah, so it's 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 very important to bring those elements together. Mm-hmm. So my work, so the journey really led from that. That's where the journey came from, and and also one added point, um, with all of the pieces like the Mami Wada piece and the pieces that talk about uh, really the, the the many of the the legends and stories from uh, Africa that traveled around the world, it also mm-hmm. ties into our ancestors, mm-hmm. and so the work I started off doing portraits these small drawings with mixed media of needle and thread, always red, the color red, because red symbolizes blood. The thread symbolizes the connections that we all have, um, the bonds that we create. So it started off me producing all of these portraits of my ancestors. And that in turn also led to my journey into really studying the seniors and the elders in the community as well, because you know, many of them, like the streets are named after certain people, and people have no idea who these people are. These are these are ancestors. These are ancestors that paved the way for this city. 
So uh, it's important to pay uh, honor and, and tribute to these people, to these great people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So tell us, um, you know, tell us some stories about, you know, being in the room with, you know, when these uh, elders are, you know, telling their story to the youth. And um, there's a picture of you, um, I guess maybe um, looks like you're sort of laying out your drawing. And I was just wondering, did you do the stitching? Did they do the stitching? Like who did the art? Like is it their stories and your art or did they actually participate in the process of making these um any of this work? Yeah, that's a great question. So I have to give tribute to the people that helped me with the sewing. An artist by the mm-hmm. name of Michael Ross, he did a huge majority oh. of the sewing and and also yeah. some ladies from Juke Fox uh, quilting. They also helped mm. me do the sewing. Um, and as far as the uh, the work, the portraits, I did the majority mm. of the layout of the portraits and the paintings, but the seniors helped with, you know, embellishing them, adding more color, putting the glitter mm. on, putting different elements mm. in, helping me decide the composition. So it was definitely a collaborative effort. Mm-hmm. Nice, nice. Yeah, yeah. And and so are you thinking about maybe having a book come out of this so then the elders can have this as like, you know, to be able to have their stories like right there in their possession um, so then they can wow. share with others and others can know about who they are? That is a man. <laughs> I, I should have talked to you like in uh, a year ago. No, that is a wonderful, wonderful idea. And I have to be honest with you. I have not thought mm-hmm. of that. I I think I've been so caught oh. up in the process of producing the quilts and producing the art, but it's a wonderful mm-hmm. idea, and that is something that I would definitely like to work on in the future. Um, you know, mm-hmm. all of the work's going to get documented, photographed, so uh, it could easily yes. be eventually converted into a book or catalog. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah, yeah. Because I think about Faith Ringo, you know, and her wonderful story quilts, and and this is sort of in in that particular um, uh, it's it's you know you, this particular um, project sounds like you know like because she documents periods in her quilts and and they're always a big story connected to it. So um, did you did you young people when they were talking to the elders was that videotaped or audio taped? Um, it it was we we do have videotape of some of the interviews. Oh. I'm still putting that piece together. Um mm-hmm. and hopefully I'm gonna have that done before the show actually ends. Um but yeah, okay. that is definitely gonna be documented. Especially their stories because mm-hmm. I have to tell you, some of the stories mm-hmm. of the seniors were just beyond belief. I mean unimaginable mm-hmm. some of the things and the struggles and things that they did. And then a few of the seniors that were part of the project passed away mm-hmm. Before what? the project was completed, yeah. So oh my. The, the amazing oh, thing. Was, wow. Oh, why don't you name? Yeah. Them? So the amazing thing is that. Um, I, Mr. Birch is one. I don't mm-hmm. know the actual. I'd, I'd have to because I worked with over a hundred seniors, so I couldn't you unfortunately do? tell you the. Yeah, yeah there's um, there are over a hundred seniors there. Yeah, yeah, there are over a hundred that were wow. included in it. Um, so it's a lot of seniors. There, there, there are four quilts. 
So you'll see when you come to oh. the show, you're going to see four quilts with the portraits of all of these seniors. But as far as mm. the seniors that passed, um, one of the seniors, his, his family contacted me and asked could they use the picture, the portrait that I did of mm-hmm. him that is on the quilt, if that could be incorporated, used for the funeral. So that was a huge mm-hmm. honor to have that as a part mm-hmm. of it. So, so this is oh. a snapshot in history. I, I see it really mm-hmm. as not just a project that's just focusing on stories or talking about, you know, the history or legacy, but we're talking about a snapshot literally in history, in San Francisco history. Definitely. What a beautiful, um, you know, legacy um, that this work is is documenting and a hundred elders. My goodness, that's a lot of people. It is. It is, and they range in age from, you know, sixty early sixties to I think uh-huh. my oldest person was a hundred and three. Really? Wow. Yeah, wow. in age, so they, like, they, huge range. Nice. Went men and women like like what was the proportion? Yeah. Uh, yeah, it Lots was. It was a mix of equal? men. Mm-hmm. Um, there were more women that were part of the project, although I do have a lot of men. Um, mm-hmm. But but there were a few more women, you know, I guess just based on the fact that, you know, women live longer <laughs> than men, so mm-hmm. they're more, more, you know, <laughs> more access. Right. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that is so cool. So, um yeah, um, tell us a few stories, you know, that really, you know, just off the top of your head that, like, oh, my God, really? <laughs> yeah, well, when when you come to the show, I'll tell you this real quick. When you come to the show, you're going to see the kind of the video talking about the making of it, and a few of the stories mm-hmm. are in it, but, I, but I'll give you a sneak preview. So one of the okay. seniors told the story. He told the story of he was living in, in Florida in the Deep South, and it was, you know, during segregation, Jim Crow era, and he had to get out. He couldn't, he couldn't take it. And so he literally walked and hitchhiked from Florida, deep south Florida, all the way to San Francisco, California. And he never came back. And mm. to think of a black man in the 1950s walking and hitchhiking all the way from from Florida to San Francisco without being killed is just unimaginable. Yeah, that is wow. Interesting. Wow. Yeah, but wow. he did it, and and he he survived mm-hmm. and has a family and very strong guy. I mean, he shakes my hand, man, and it's like you gotta. He gives you the <laughs> most powerful grip you can imagine. Super strong guy. Um, <laughs> So he's one of them, and it, and then there there are people that have been that were told me stories of how they really helped change many of the labor laws in San Francisco. You know, bringing people in, you know, um, you know, really coming in, making sure that when contract work happens, that they include African Americans and also women in mm-hmm. some of these jobs. And we're talking like you know the '60s, early '60s, '70s. You know, they were instrumental in making these changes and really fighting to make certain things happen. So it's it's mm-hmm. some real trailblazers that are part of it. Wow, right, right. Interesting. Wow, that's amazing. So how has this journey been for you, and what's, 
you know, what do you see in store for you next? Because you know, every time you, you, you know, you have a project, like this is like a year, years and years investment. Um, not that, mm-hmm. you know, that you're going away or anything, but like, wow, after something of this magnitude, what do you do? <laughs> <laughs> Very good point. So I've been fortunate. I um, was able to find a way and been invited to continue the project because, you know, with these seniors, you know, there are so many seniors now that have, that come up to me and say, you know, I wanted to be a part of the project. You know, why didn't you interview me? Why didn't you talk to me? But, you know, it, okay. you know, was I was limited on time, so I'm going to continue it. I, um, I'm planning to do more quilts, do another series of quilts. So I'm hoping to have hundreds of seniors eventually that will be, you know, documented with this project. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. So, yeah, totally you'll, you'll have to have, um, you know, volume this, volume that. <laughs> Because <laughs> yes. um, you know, if you have a if you have a hundred, you you know you 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 have a hundred people in the first it, uh, iteration. Um, that's you, I don't think. I mean, you, you know, you want it to be affordable so people can actually get the book. <laughs> so yes, probably yes, one, you know, yes. one one book at a time, and then you have the accompanying film. Oh my gosh, it's going to be so wonderful. That's Thank really you. really great because our stories are so important, and they are. Um, you know, wow, if you wouldn't have done this, did any of the uh, elders say that this was the first time that they'd ever been interviewed and, like, you know, someone, you know, was so was interested in in, in their, their history, their lives, and things like that? Absolutely. Absolutely. I had mm-hmm. a lot tell me that. And then the other thing mm-hmm. I ha- I really had to learn, that, you know, mm-hmm. like, you just don't go into – a community of seniors and expect to have things happen overnight. It took Mm -hmm. like months of consistent conversation and work before some people would even sit down and let me interview them or do a portrait Mm -hmm. of them. Like it didn't just happen overnight. So it, it took a lot of time because there are a lot of trust issues and there are a lot of seniors, particularly African-American seniors, that really feel like no one sees the value in what they have to offer. So they're really yeah. surprised. They're kind of like, what's the angle? You know, why, why are you so interested in my story? You know, why, why do you want to mm-hmm. document me? It's not that important. You know, so you have to really, you have to take that time. That's part of the project too, really creating that comfort and creating a dialogue where they see the value in their stories as well. And that's not all of them. That's just some, I should say, because some were really open mm-hmm. and, and were immediate with sharing their information. But others, it took mm-hmm. it definitely took a, quite a while. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's so great. And, and so how do you fund these things, um, you know, to be able to, you know, throw this big party, you know, to open up, you know, the uh, – the, the exhibit, you know, the Duke City, a Harlem of the West immersive art experience on um, June 13th. Is that a Friday? Is that next Friday? It, uh, next, no, it's next Thursday. Next, next Thursday, Thursday. Okay. Uh, June 13th. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Yeah, and yes. then, and then so, you have an artist talk on July 25th. I want to let folks know that as well. And that's from 6 to 9 at the same location, um, 762 Fulton Street, the African-American Art and Culture Complex. 
Yes, yes. So um, I've been able to – I've been very fortunate. So I have support from the African-American Art and Culture Complex. I have support Mm -hmm. from the um, Dr. George W. Davis Senior Center and also the San Francisco – no, I'm sorry, the California Arts Commission. California Arts Commission has been tremendous with support, and that's been through grants and through funding to help keep these projects going. Right, yeah, yeah. Well, congratulations, uh, William, on this wonderful um, uh, work that you just completed, and, uh, you know, part one, you know, the next iteration, you know, the, the next cohort is coming up as soon as, I guess, you assemble all of your the aspects, <laughs> you know, the support, you know, the materials, the money, to be able to start part two, you know, okay, let's get another 100 folks to be able to do this again. But, um, yeah, congratulations. I'm really looking forward to watching the videos and looking at the art and meeting the elders. I'm sure some of them are going to be coming out and shaking a leg next week. Absolutely. <laughs> we have a bus. We have, so but the plan fun. is to have a bus, uh, have several buses of, of uh, seniors oh, coming cool. out, you know, sharing their stories oh. and, be, and, and being a part nice. of uh, connecting with people. Wow, that's going to be so wonderful. I just love, love the rich um, narratives that come from a life, a full life, well-lived, and that's going to be really, really great. So, um, yeah, thank you so much for, you know, doing this kind of wonderful um, living artwork and, uh, you know, and, and doing it in a way that community can also participate. You know, you're not hoarding these wonderful experiences to yourself. <laughs> well, thank you, and and thank you for seeing the value in this and supporting me too, Wanda. I have to have to really tell you that with allowing me to do these interviews. I, it really, really is great, and it's it's wonderful to have your continued support. Oh, definitely, definitely. And I see how I might be able to participate, so we'll talk about that off the air. <laughs> okay, that sounds great. All righty. We have a good rest of the morning and look forward to seeing you in the coming week. All right, thanks again. All right, you take good care. Bye-bye. Bye. Ah, good morning. Is this um, Will um, Agi? Yes, good morning, Wanda. This is Will A.G. <laughs> hmm? Yes. Say it again. Uh, A.G., <laughs> like the letters A-G. Oh, A-G, okay. Mm-hmm. A-G. Everyone mispronounces oh. it, so that's no problem. <laughs> A.G., yeah, just the way it looks. It's like it's like you have a, a initials as a last name, but they're spelled out. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Oh, cool. <laughs> yeah, and you are director, producer, and cinematographer and editor. Like, you've got a heck of a lot of hats <laughs> of the land of high mountains. And it's your first debut feature-length film, and I don't know how you follow this up with anything else because, you know, the writer by Aiti, you know, or Haiti, in such a mm-hmm. beautiful way, and then the and then the earthquake happens, and then yes. um, a hurricane happens, and like you still on the ground, right? Like what? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, man. Yeah, I'll tell, tell you, it's, it's going to be certainly. It's going to be very hard to follow up on it. I uh, I, I came upon Haiti rather uh, strangely. So I, as a matter of fact, I'm mm-hmm. I'm from the Bay Area. I'm from Napa Valley. And right. I hate to say I, I didn't I didn't know much about Haiti uh, leading up to 2017, 
Um, but when mm-hmm. I was given a book, and the book was the memoirs of Father Rick Frechette, who is a, uh, oh. a priest who's lived in Haiti since 80, 1987, uh, this mm-hmm. was from the years about 04 to 07, the really challenging years post Aristide. And this, this book was so compelling um, that I felt compelled to go mm-hmm. to Haiti. And mm-hmm. at that point, I got on the phone and then I, I was in Port-au-Prince a few few weeks later. And I, I think anyone mm-hmm. who's, who's from Haiti, obviously, or who's been to Haiti, knows that the, the place mm-hmm. is like nowhere else on earth. The people are like no one else you've ever met. They are joyful mm-hmm. and happy and vibrant, and uh, yet they also encounter so many challenges uh, from, as you, as you mentioned, natural disasters, political upheaval. Uh, there are a mm-hmm. lot of challenges, as are well documented. You know, if you hear Haiti, you think of poverty, you think of violence. But one of the things that I noticed when I was there was the beauty and the resilience. And this was something that I think is often misunderstood or misrepresented in, in, the, in the so-called developed world. So what I wanted to do was was bring a little piece of the Haiti that I knew and discovered back to the United States and into the rest of the world that that might view Haiti in a, in a light that is not really fitting uh, the country. Mm-hmm. Right, right, and and I've actually been been to Haiti. Um, unfortunately, I I didn't visit before the earthquake, so all of the beautiful um, you know museums and other types of um, you know structures were no longer standing and and so mm-hmm. you know when the earthquake happens in the film I'm like okay yeah I know what that where that is and I remember that and I remember this yeah cuz um yeah I knew I knew all of those places <laughs> I had been oh. there to those places um and I wish I had you know been able to get like be in a a small airplane and fly over <laughs> The land yeah. of the high mountains and see the water and all those beautiful shots that you have. And I'm like, oh, this is, I was on the ground, right? It was not pretty. Um. <laughs> Especially in Portland. I, I think one of the major one of the major challenges when people visit Haiti, they'll tend to go to the far north, you know, up in Labadee and and then Cap Haitian, mm. which is beautiful and stunning, mm-hmm. and where all the cruise ships come through. But it's quite touristy. And then they'll or they'll go to Port-au-Prince, and Port-au-Prince is like any major major city with with a lot of high exactly. unemployment. Um, you you can kind of get a rather inaccurate picture of what what Haiti as a country is if you if you just have those snapshots. So what I really wanted to do also with the film was was take you throughout the southern part of Haiti, you know, all the way out to um, Abricot and Saint Victor, and just show you that mm-hmm. this is a diverse place. You know, it's not just Cité Soleil in Port-au-Prince, which is one of the biggest slums in the Western Hemisphere. This is a country that has mm-hmm. incredible mountains, incredible landscapes, incredible small plots of farmers who just subsist on, on sugar cane and, and yam. And it's just it, it's in a, a very vibrant, diverse place that you can't get if you just look or stop at the news, which is often centered in Port-au-Prince. Um, so I, I, I can empathize with you. I think that was one of the things I really wanted to to show people was that this is a country far beyond Port-au-Prince. Oh well, yeah. I mean, I, I actually I, I did travel a little bit. I went to Cap Haitian and I went to some oh, other places, um, but I was I was not in I was not like flying over. <laughs> I mean, you know, you know, you get when you go up to the top of you know the Citadel. Of course, there's a view. Sure. Right? But it wasn't oh a view that I saw from the airplane where you were shooting. Like, <laughs> oh, this is beautiful. Looking at the water, like the two colors, you know, oh, meeting yeah. each other. Maybe the salt and the um and the fresh water. And I'm like, oh, this is so beautiful. Um, 
<laughs> Thank you. It, it, it is. It, I, mean, it, it, I think I, I liken it to a few places where I filmed, but but really nothing like Haiti, where you, you just kind of you can't get a bad shot in Haiti. Everyone uh, you meet is, is a fascinating character. Every vista that you you experience is. is is so stunningly beautiful that you kind of just want to get out of the way, just point the camera and, 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 and let the, let the subject do the work. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then these beautiful people um, that we meet, you know, at this uh, St. Um, Damien pediatric hospital, Haiti's only mm-hmm. pediatric hospital. Um, and, and, and I just, Oh man, that was, that was so beautiful meeting the the head you know doctor who was brought um football to the to the island and you know they were the they were the what was it they they were the stars second Mexico was the only one that came close I'm like the doctor was a soccer camp like really yeah yeah, I know right Dr. Jacqueline Gauthier, who's the you know the medical director of the only pediatric hospital in the country you know a country of three million children (laughs) You know, she, she's about mm-hmm. five feet tall, and she is a powerhouse of a woman. I mean, honestly, you, you just you, – you, whatever she says, you do. And it was so mm-hmm. funny. We, we didn't even realize this, but only halfway through the filming, you know, amongst her myriad of other talents, it turned out that she was the star soccer player, and they brought soccer to Haiti. And Haiti was as good as anybody with the exception of uh, maybe Mexico City. And this was back in the 70s. Mm-hmm. And it was just so funny to see, uh, you know, how – there's just so multi-talented. These people have have such a capacity uh, to 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 change the future of the country, and I think that's what I really wanted to highlight too. Was, the, of course, you have the stories of of the violence and and of corruption, but there are also incredibly hopeful stories of of people who are equally as powerful, and and I think that paint a very bright future for for what Haiti will will experience going forward. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah. <laughs> so, so tell us about, you know, um, Father uh, Frechette. Uh, mm-hmm. How do you pronounce his last name? Yeah, Frechette. 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 Okay, yeah. yeah. And and then the other, the other, the priest, I just, you know, the yeah. one, the priest who, um, I'm trying to think. Yeah, he ended up, um, I'm trying to think, he was born in a, was yes. he born in America? And then he, yeah, and then he, and then he, he was, yeah, he was born so he has like three homes. Yeah, yeah, Pittsburgh and Italy. He's Italian, Italian descent. Uh, but yeah, so there, there are two priests actually in the film, which is which is a little uncommon. Um, and I wasn't expecting to do that, but I think they both had very interesting stories. You know, amongst the other characters in the mm-hmm. film, I I thought all of these, these they they all work together in tandem to kind of make Saint Damien work, and also they go out mm-hmm. and beyond and, and and help so many people. But Father Rick Frechette uh, is, is kind of a legend. Uh, if if you look him up, uh, you know, the New York Times did a great piece about him. Uh, for burying Haiti's dead, um, and this was about maybe two years ago, or maybe a year ago, mm-hmm. excuse me. And uh, he's he's been in Haiti for 30 years. He's so well respected by everybody. I mean, he was in the you know in the heart of during the gang wars post Aristide. He was in the heart of Fete Soleil, taking out the impoverished dead who otherwise would be I hate to say it, but left on trash heaps to be eaten by pigs. And what he would do was he firmly believed that everybody deserves, you know, dignity and, 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 and death. And I think when, when people die, unfortunately, a lot of the time they just get ignored. And so he, he, he wanted to change that. So amongst the myriad of other things, and he works directly with Andrea Bocelli, who, you know, actually, believe it or not, has a huge interest in Haiti. The singer from Italy has water trucks mm-hmm. that Father Rick, you know, works with, you know, many famous Hollywood 
uh, actors and producers have come down post-earthquake and, and have worked with him because he's been on the boots on the ground for so long. Um, but he, uh, he's a fascinating man. I, I've never met anyone quite like him. Uh, he works tirelessly and, uh, and he's kind of the, he was the founder of the hospital in conjunction with Dr. Jacqueline Gauthier, who I previously mentioned and a few other individuals. Mm-hmm. And, and, and they started it as a hospice in the late eighties, uh, to treat children who were dying of AIDS where they didn't have anywhere else to go. Um, as it started as a hospice, slowly but surely, the demand grew for children who didn't have AIDS, but who were malnourished or who had cancer. And, and slowly but surely, they, they, they grew the hospital meeting needs as, as they needed to you know, be, be, be solved. Father Enzo is a newer addition to Haiti. He, he arrived in 2014, but he is no less powerful and an amazing man. Uh, in fact, we were just in Pittsburgh two nights ago for a private screening, uh, and it was great to catch oh. up with him. I hadn't seen him since production, and he's doing well, thankfully. I'm happy to report. But he's a passionist mm-hmm. priest uh, who came to Haiti to go out to the, the, the far places in, in the Southern Claw and administer uh, support to, to communities that had been affected by Hurricane Matthew and, uh, and, and previous mm-hmm. natural disasters before that. So he, he is a, uh, he's, he's not a doc- Father Rick is also a doctor. I should mention he's a doctor and a priest, right. uh, but Fa- mm-hmm. Father Enzo is, uh, he's just a, just a, a wonderful priest and, uh, and a fascinating character, a very brave man too. I have to say, we encountered some, some very interesting things along the way and production was complicated as I'm sure you can imagine in Haiti, the infrastructure is a little challenging. So, you're you're always bound to have some some pretty pretty gargantuan challenges to to make a movie, but we uh, we surmounted those obstacles thankfully. Okay, well you can you can tell us maybe some of those stories. Um, but first, I want you to also talk about some of the other other um, uh, people um, you know um, profiled um, or in in mm-hmm. the story that helped tell the story, uh, particularly the young man who actually yes. um, and maybe you could talk a little bit about the hospital and how. They, um, it's also um, an orphanage, <laughs> and, and so the young it, people that actually everything. live. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and then also, yeah, yeah, and then and then the whole idea is that um, the services are free, but they're not free. Like you know, people are mm-hmm. actually um, they have to pay something so that mm-hmm. there'll be more value. Yeah. Um, but there's also a lot of dignity. Um, and yes. people understand that, you know, the parents just weren't being mean. They didn't starve their children because they, you know, they weren't, they didn't love them. It's like the parents yeah. are starving too. And I'm like, wow. And, and then, and then yeah. I just love it when we go and see how many eggs and, and fish and, <laughs> and, and like, oh, yeah. and the person goes, because he's like, he's like, you know, sort of, um, he's like, I don't know, is he deboning them? I don't know what he's doing, but he's like every fish he touches. <laughs> and that's a lot of fish. Oh, yeah. He's prepping them, yeah. So, so yeah. There, there are a couple questions there, but I'll, I'll start with the the ecosystem that you're describing. It's, it's a fascinating place. It's so okay. much more than yeah. just a pediatric hospital. Um, that's, I mm-hmm. think, what was the most impressive to me when I first arrived. Obviously, the the sheer um, number of pe- children that they're treating and and, and treating mm-hmm. diseases that otherwise would go and, and lead to chronic illness or or death. You know, that that was the most impactful when I first got there. But then right after that was seeing mm-hmm. how to make it work in a country that is resource starved like Haiti. Um, you have to have a, a, a major ecosystem. You have to have fish to feed the people who are malnourished. You have to have eggs and chickens. I mean, this this is a basically a city within a city. And what they've done at St. Damien, which is incredible, is they have this infrastructure that they've kind of built themselves. Uh, you know, there are 437 Haitian employees 
there. So it's a it's an economy. It's it's a it's a farm. It's a hospital. It's it's really everything. And and yeah, to see that that is tilapia that the, that that you were referencing in the film, and then when they were harvesting, it was yeah. incredible <laughs> to see this man work. He was he. I think they went through thousands of tilapia and prepped them and packed them in ice yeah. and. and had them for the hospital and shipped them out and also provides a little bit of a revenue stream to, to maintain the hospital as well. Um, but that, that's kind of the ecosystem in the, in the film. You'll see a lot more. Uh, but then the other question was about the young man. There's one of the characters in the film, James Lee Fern, the fourth film. And uh, I'm happy mm-hmm. to say he's one of my dearest friends. We we talk daily now, and uh, he's like a brother the musician, from another mother. Uh, the young man who plays <laughs> yes, the guitar? The, the, yes, the musician. What, what's his he's name? A, his name is Lee Fern, Forrestal. And he is, uh, yeah. he grew up, oh, so, so I should say when we talk about that ecosystem I referenced previously with the farm, it also has orphanage because, of course, you know, mm-hmm. there, there are two issues. One, many parents died in the earthquake. Uh, you know, as you know, there were hundreds of thousands of casualties, and that left a right. lot of children without homes, without families. So, you know, mm-hmm. that, that orphanage was there previously, but it really became very full, you know, after the earthquake. On top of that, Haiti, also a lot of parents just can't afford children. So what they'll do is they'll keep, if they have three children, they might keep one at home and send two to an orphanage. This happens so frequently, mm-hmm. and, and it's unfortunately a, um, a reality. Um, so this orphanage is, it, I can't tell you how beautiful it is, though. It's up in Kenskoff, which is right uh, south of Port-au-Prince, up on the mountain. And the temperature mm-hmm. difference between Port-au-Prince, <laughs> I'll tell you from experience, I don't do well with heat. But the difference between Port-au-Prince at 98 and 100% <laughs> humidity, and then you go up this mountain in an hour, and it's gone to about 76, and it's foggy. It's it's just an incredibly beautiful transition. But this orphanage is connected with the hospital, and a lot of the children who are either abandoned at the hospital, um, you know, or don't have parents, will end up up at this orphanage. And I uh, had the privilege of meeting this young man who grew up in the orphanage, who's now in his, his late 20s. Um, he's an incredibly talented musician. In fact, he, he plays a lot of the music for the soundtrack of the film. Uh, and he is an incredible soccer player, an incredible musician, an incredibly smart young man. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and you know, it, through the course of kind of catching up with his story, he grew up in the orphanage. His, his parents both died when he was three years old. And uh, and he has about six or seven brothers and sisters, of which he all he takes care of them all now, in Port-au-Prince, mm. uh, and as he as he works. And luckily, I will happy to report, without you know, it, this is in the film, but this is recent. He was able to get into a, a UN-sponsored program in Seattle, um, so he's going to oh. be trying to become a diplomat. And so you might hear more from Lee Fern uh, in oh. the diplomatic sphere, yeah, going forward because he's so well spoken yeah. as well. And, uh, yeah, and an incredible young man. So yeah, and he talks about how, um, you know, there there's a set of values that, um, you know, that that he he learned as a part of the uh, Saint Damien mm-hmm. community. And so, um, because he's you know he's such a great musician, he he had an opportunity to be a professional and sing in clubs and mm-hmm. things. And it's like, nope, not mm-hmm. going to do that. Just going to continue <laughs> at the university. And he talked about you know how you know, how doors open, you know, exactly. and you, you know, exactly. step through them. Mm-hmm. I, I think wow, that's such an important message, world. you know. Yeah, <laughs> and you can apply that here. And I think that's one of the important things I wanted to, to stress in the film, too, is mutual learning. 
so frequently what we'll do is, you know, in, in the United States is we'll think we have all the answers. So we, we go down to Haiti and we say, oh, this is what we do here in Mayo Clinic. So this is what it should be here in Port-au-Prince. And this is, this is not the way to do it. That, that's, that's one way uh, and, and it doesn't work. What you want to do is mutual learning. There's a lot of informing our, ourselves that we can do too. And I think that what the film really underlined was uh, this idea that we should walk side by side, hand in hand together to a brighter future. Um, and, and accordingly, what I learned so many things from Lefern when I was down there was, you know, to always be hopeful and to be disciplined and, and, and to never stop believing. And what happens when you do that is it's incredible how you just reference the doors opening. You know, a young man who grew up in an orphanage, you know, with seven brothers and sisters with no parents in a country that is, you know, 186th on the UN index of human development. Uh, you know, able to now be in a program with the UN in Seattle and potentially, you know, having a career as a diplomat and making his country the, the place he would love to see it be. I mean, that's that's a beautiful story. And in, in conjunction with that being a, a fantastic musician who would rival the best that you've ever seen, it's uh, it, it's just a, a really, really beautiful story. And it's and is one of many. And I think that that's what was hard was cutting things down to make this an hour and 40 minutes. I, I think it really not a series and, and made it over, you know, multiple seasons. But I, I think we, we, we tried to do the best we could to make it in a, in a feature lane. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, maybe, you know, maybe there might be another film you can make um, with, um, you know, the footage that you oh, weren't yeah. able to use in this story. Um, because it's you know it's really compelling and and then the other um, the other priest the one who um, uh, who is American and Italian and <laughs> who lives in Father Enzo, Enzo. Um, <laughs> yeah yeah Father yeah. Enzo yeah yeah and um, and and how he you know when they go to um, uh, City Soleil how he talks about because mm. they they um, you know the way that they they talk. You know in the film, which I think is very well done. You you talk to another another person who is really strong character. Uh, he's an older person and he speaks English really well. And he's he's educated. He talks about his mother being educated. And, oh, Fadul. Fadul Amizial. Yeah. Yeah. I love Fadul. Right. He's right. Wonderful. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. and he talks about you know sort of African spirituality and the misconceptions yes. and the Hollywood. Um, uh, <laughs> you know, a version of of the truth when the truth is not. True. Oh yeah. Um, yes. Yeah, and and so then going back to um, uh, the priest um, mm. whose name I forgot that quickly because um, yeah, I can't find in your website. Yeah, I can't find in your website a list of all the people that you talk to. Um, oh, it's, 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 it's buried on, on, the, it. on the it's on the yeah it's on the on the credits there, but it's it's small small print. Oh. <laughs> Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. So that's why I keep on having to have. There are so many names. But uh, I should really have a bullet bullet list of names there for you. Yeah, and put and put their pictures next to their names, just in case we forget who we're we're interested. That's a really brilliant idea. You know, I I I think I'll have to talk to the web web guy about that. Like oh yeah, that would be really helpful because I I see your team and and I notice that it's all yeah. male. But we'll talk about that later. Yeah. Um, so anyway, <laughs> when you're at City yeah. Soleil, um, yeah. the father, uh, the the priest, he talks about how, um, you know, um, they 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 uh, sort of get to the kids and and through through the um, through the football, and that's that's how we find out about you know the doctors, oh, uh, yeah. the, the chief medical officers, um, you know, background. <laughs> And and how and how important 
you know, football is, how important that sport yeah. is, <laughs> you know, absolutely. To, to the overall Haitian community. And But then the, the thing that I, I really wanted to highlight was how he talks about how it's, it's not about the church, it's about the community and yes. and these young people that come from college, you know, from university, and they work with their mm-hmm the youth in their community and a lot of them are from City Soleil so and they're oh, doing yes. you know, they're doing these different why don't you talk a little bit about that particular part of, love the, of the film and yeah, I'd that's really, to. really wonderful. Mm-hmm. Oh, thank you. Well, so there are a couple things there I'd, I'd love, would love to touch on. So the uh, the first piece that I, I think is so important was how how we dealt with voodoo and with Fadul in the way I wanted him to, to really speak what mm-hmm. what he speaks so eloquently and I, I could never possibly replicate. Um, but just to paraphrase a bit, you know, I, I think what I what I admired so much was that foreign people, who myself included, will never understand. We we won't understand the impact of voodoo, um, and and how that is 100%. There was a phrase told to me: 100% of Haiti Haitians are voodoo, and about 90% are Christian, and, and that, it works in tandem. I mean, that's the incredible thing that I think was is a misconception that you're either voodoo or you're Christian or you're both. Voodoo is 100% because it's what brought everyone together when they were brought as slaves. So, you know, when 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 the Europeans came and, and, and took them out of Africa, brought them to Haiti, they're in a foreign place. They, you know, the only thing that bound them together was African spirituality. So I, I think mm-hmm. that that's so important to both be respectful and understanding of. And, and that's what I admired as much uh, about the priests, because one of these things that can be very contentious, and I see a lot of when I was down in Haiti, you have a lot of people wearing mission shirts with save Haiti or, you know, we're here to save. And I think that it's the intention might be right in terms of wanting to help, you know, some of the infrastructural obstacles or build homes or things like this. But I think the listening is very important and not coming down with your, your spirituality, your religion and imposing that on others. And I think that that's what those priests do so well. They don't bring, they're not trying to proselytize and tell people to be Catholic or to be Christian. I think that they're there to simply help in the way that they can, which in Father Rick's case, it's really on the medical side. In Father Enzo's case, it's really on construction as well as saying mass for those who are Christian. And I think what I was very hypersensitive to and hoping was not going to be the case, thankfully wasn't. And I didn't find them to be anything other than completely, um, what's the word I'm looking for? I, I would say respectful and, 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 and they listen more than they talk. And I think that that's so important mm-hmm. in this day and age. So so frequently now we, we, we have something to say or we have an opinion about something rather than hearing the other person. And and I think that that's what I, what I admired the most was the, it wasn't about religion to them. It was about the person, the human being, and listening to that other human being. So so on that, mm-hmm. um, I realized that in Cité Soleil, uh, you know, the, this is – a lot of its children had nothing to do during the day, and then this, as we know, idle hands is, is not good. So he mm-hmm. figured out that okay, well, you know, but they love to they love to play soccer, but you don't have you don't have a field in Cité Soleil. It's it's so what he figured out was let's 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 create a field over by the land that no one wants, right at the the airplanes land right above your heads. Well, this is a place where we can actually have some some land. So they carved out a few soccer fields, and oh my gosh, it, it's an example of if you build it, they will come. These children are mm-hmm. 
so happy. They come out and they're working together. And you have all these these children who grew up in Cittisole who went to university and now are coming back and helping to teach. And this isn't you know directly connected with the hospital, only in so much as Father Enzo is connected with the hospital. But it's amazing to see that this is just another example of of a Western person coming in, not imposing their own values and their own view, but working with the Haitians to support what they want in that self-determination. And, uh, and, and it was beautiful to see the, the Little Stones program in Cite is just breathtaking. I, I, I have to say, when I went there my first trip, uh, that was one of the, the greatest impetuses for me for doing the film because it, the hospital is incredible. The, the Little Stones program is incredible, but all of these come together to form an example of hope and an example of hope giving life. And, and that's the, you know, Les Bois Fais Vive is the is the tagline of the film, Hope Gives Life. And I think that's just so an important message and that you, all you need is a little hope and determination from from and a little help from foreigners if you can. But really this is going to be one of those things where this is Haitian determined and it's, and, and I think it's, it's, it's yielding fruit already. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so I want to let the audience know that the land of high mountains um, is actually going to be screening this Sunday, June 9th at 1215 in the afternoon. And again, Tuesday, June 11th at 7 PM. And Will, since he's here, um, is going to be there at both screenings, and who else is going to be there? Any of the other people oh, that we meet? You know, I'm so sorry to report. I will not be at the first screening. I'm actually, as I speak to you, I'm calling from Maryland right now. I'm at my best friend's wedding. I'm the best man duties, so I, I, I will be on a flight <laughs> uh, on, on, okay. on the ninth when, when the movie is screening, but I will be there along with Olaf Hamelink, who is uh, the Dutch cinematographer I worked with um, on this mm-hmm. film, we will both be there on uh, 7 p.m. on Tuesday, June 11th at the Roxy, and I think we'll do a little okay. Q&A afterwards. And I'd love to love to meet mm-hmm. anyone who who would come. And I'm ha- I can talk Haiti all day. I can talk the Land of High Mountains all day. So uh, I'll try to be as brief <laughs> as possible, <laughs> not not keep you there too late. On Tuesday well, until they kick uh, you out. Um. <laughs> yes, until the lights come on and then yeah. grabs me. Yeah. Like, uh, yeah. Yeah, so funny because I remember I I went to a film this past Tuesday, and uh, Mm. we were standing. They actually put us out the theater. We were standing outside the Roxy talking at almost midnight. (laughs) Hey, well, that means it was a good film. I I, I congratulate. Oh, it was excellent. Yeah, it was excellent. It was um, it was circles. Um, and uh, so I was outside talking to Cassidy, um, Eric Mm. Butler, who is the principal in the film. He said bye, oh, wow. like around mm. ten something. He's like, "Wait, well, better." And we're like, we're like standing there talking, just sort of processing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, sometimes oh, it takes that. You know, you just you don't want to just get back in the car and you know, create, you know, fight traffic. You, you want to sit there and let let the soundtrack waft over you and and, and really integrate those experiences because <laughs> a film a film is a transportation to another world. And uh, you know, it is, it's it hard is. to sometimes mm-hmm. just walk out that theater and be hit in the face with the reality that we're used to. Mm-hmm. So, right, yeah. right, yeah. And in our closing minutes, I wanted I wanted you to give your website, and I wanted you to you know do a shout out to your team. But before sure. that, um, I wanted you to, um, and maybe somewhere in there, not before that necessarily, you do it in the <laughs> order you like. Um, sure. Uh, but definitely give your website because I noticed that um, there's a place for people to be able to um, assist. Um, you know, yes. uh, the organization, um, you know, monetarily, sure. you know, because these kids of are course. very sick, some of them. And uh, and I want you to talk sort of thinking about that. Um, 
there was there's heart surgery and I'm like, Wow, you're in the room, really? Wow. No, I don't want to see the details. I'm so happy that we don't. Um will we see enough? Like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, just but that just team enough, of cardiologists yeah, the pediatric cardiologist in that particular relationship and the relationship of the of the they have staff that is like they're like uh surrogate parents to the babies and oh, to yeah. the children. Oh, yeah. It's just so beautiful, mm-hmm. like like wow, to have that yeah. kind of like these kids are not just in their in their um bassinets, you know, oh, no. all by themselves. I mean there are there oh, are no, there are not. caregivers that are assigned to them. <laughs> Like their mamas oh, yeah. and their daddies, right? That's like, whoa, it is. It's that's like, beautiful. I mean, and, and also, oh, thank you. Well, you know, it's it's so again, the, the, basically, a, the the heart surgery, you know, the Gift of Life Foundation um, Life, has okay. worked with Haiti for quite a long time, and uh, mm-hmm. you know, I'm happy to report that also now there is a you know a Haitian cardiologist who who has been trained who is there full time as well. So. You have you have oncology, you have cardiology. I mean, this is unheard of. Uh, even until a few years ago, uh, I mean, as we say, it's the only pediatric hospital in the country. Until a few years ago, even even St. Damien had to send the children who had particularly difficult oncology cases or even even somewhat basic cardiology cases to the Dominican Republic to have surgery. Um, often a lot of a lot of cancer was a death sentence even until a couple of years ago, but now they're starting to change that. So these children who, who did nothing to deserve this, um, they're able to to treat them and to cure them, which is incredible. Uh, so yeah, we were privileged to be in the room for for a, a VSD surgery, and uh, I'll tell you, I was never more nervous in my life. <laughs> it, it, it was a, a nice respite from the humidity to be in the air conditioned OR, but. Uh, you know, they, everything runs in the, it runs very tight ship in there, and there are very clear areas where you go, and then very clear areas where you'll get shouted at if you even remotely approach. So, trying to figure out how to make a, a, a you know to film well and to have good cinematography while not breaking the uh, the sterile field was was challenging. But um, yeah, so so there there the website is landofhighmountains.com, just like the film. And uh, there is an area on there for donating for, you know, the call to action. Uh, <laughs> listen, if I, if I were a doctor, I probably would have stayed down in Haiti and, and wanted to work full time as a doctor at that hospital. That's how inspiring it is. But as I don't have that skill set and I'm not very good at things related to science, I, uh, I, I wanted to do the only thing I could do to help, which was to make a film. Because I think, as I referenced previously, this is a very misrepresented and misunderstood country. And I wanted to bring a, a different light to, to the Haitian dialogue that we talk about here in, in the United States. And so that's what I wanted to do. But in truth, everybody can help. I mean, honestly, it, it sometimes feels so impersonal just to give money. But I promise you that that's the thing that I witnessed is this money goes to the, directly to the, the, the women who are sleeping underneath their baby's bassinets all night long. Uh, on the stone floor. I mean, it, this goes to making, getting yoga mats, simple things. I mean, it, all the way up to helping a child, you know, live a few more years who are who's dealing with cystic fibrosis. I mean, it, it, this is, it, there are so many needs and it, it sometimes feels impersonal just to give money, but I promise you, if that's, you know, go visit Haiti, give money, whatever feels good to you. But the only thing I ask is, I hope people don't see the film and, and let that be the end of the conversation or or they just forget about Haiti. I really want them to, to think about it and, and to, to further explore and to let this be the beginning of the conversation, not the end. 
um, you know, and, and also extend it to your own neighborhoods. You know, th- th- this is one of the things that I think so frequently these, these foreign places or places that are very unfamiliar to us are very exotic and exciting. So we are drawn to those, but we ignore the people in our own backyard who, who also need help. So to kind of extend that, that, uh, that the lessons we learned from the film of, of, of helping others and, and of, of walking side by side with each other and, and treating each other as brothers and sisters, I think, I think uh, that would be wonderful. So yes, please do visit landofhighmountains.com. And uh, if you feel compelled to, to donate, that would be wonderful. Uh, I hope to see everybody at the Roxy. I think it's going to be a wonderful screening. And, uh, and yes, mm-hmm. also on Instagram, uh, for a lot of this cutting room floor stuff, and we had hour with 18 terabytes of footage. Uh, so we have a lot of things coming out, and, and that the Instagram to follow is 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 the production company. We're we're called Dulcinea Productions. That's D U L C I N E A Dulcinea Productions, and uh, we'll be releasing a lot of behind the scenes and cutting room floor over the next uh, few weeks and months going forward, and and really hope to see uh, see everyone at the screening uh, on Tuesday, June 11th at 7 p.m. Okay, cool. Do you know the Haiti Emergency Relief Fund? Um, uh, I do. The the organization that's here in the Bay Area since you're here. I've I've heard of it. I, I I'm not I'm not very familiar with it, but I have heard of it. Yes. Okay, I'll I'll introduce you because um this Please, is a really that, good, that would be wonderful. good film. I think I think I think um you know you all would be really a good connection so that you know more people will know about the film and the work of of the hospital and and you know and the various oh. people that we meet there. Well, that would be that would be wonderful, Wanda. Thank you. Yeah, you know, we had the privilege of screening at Fort Lauderdale Film Festival in November of last year, and uh, mm-hmm. we were on the uh, the radio station there, the the biggest Haitian radio station in the country, and and uh, it was just mm-hmm. incredible to see what they mobilize. We we had a nice interview there, just like this one, and and we mobilized mm-hmm. a lot of people, and and, and it really, I'm I'm so happy that you know the more the more we can amplify uh, the, the film, I think, uh, and the voice and, and the messaging, I think, I think uh, I'll be very, very pleased. This would make me happy. And I think uh, mm-hmm. I, I've, I've had the honor of, of, of being able to tell a story that's not my own. And I think that's very important sometimes to, to acknowledge that, you know, I, this is an honor and a privilege um, to be able to tell a Haitian story as I'm, you know, an American male. And uh, mm-hmm. I, I think that the best thing that I, 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 as I say at every screening, the, the, the greatest honor that I had is when I screened it down in Haiti for the Haitians at the hospital. And uh, mm-hmm. the reaction I got uh, just told me everything I needed to know, which was I did a decent job in just translating a message that's not my own. And, and I hope everyone feels that way. But if they don't, I'm always open to criticism and how to get better. I think as a, as a young first-time filmmaker, I think that's, the, that's what we have to do. So I, right. I hope to see yeah. you there, too, on Tuesday. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm gonna definitely try to fit it in my schedule. And um, and on your way out, I wanted to introduce you, just in case you don't know her, um, to Bridget um, Auger, who's um, with uh, Itav um, Azam, their directors of We Are Not Princesses. And um, and Bridget lives here, and her film, you know, thematically, I think Bridget, um, particularly, you know, since you're looking at the story of Antigone, and we're talking mm-hmm. in the beginning of this film of Haiti or Haiti about about um the dignity of, of death and, and, and the yes. right to burial, right? And and that's yes. what the story of Antigone is, um, you know, classically and then you just do so much with it, you know, um, Bridget around the um you know, weaving in the stories of these women um who are displaced from Syria in, in Lebanon. So anyway, her film is on the thirteenth um screening and you'll be back maybe um 
oh, and I'll still be there. back. I'll be um, there, definitely. Yeah, so, so yeah, you should you should go see her film uh, at 7 p.m. and you all can meet. If, do you know each other already? Bridget, do you know? No. Um, I've heard oh. of her film, actually. I, I think uh, it, it's been on the festival circuit, so I, I've, I've had it on my list. I really do want to see it on the 13th. I'd love to, I'd love to go and meet, meet you, Bridget. That would be wonderful. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think you all should collaborate, because I think your films would be a great double feature. <laughs> oh. oh, thank you. <laughs> it would be my honor. Okay. Yes. <laughs> all right, safe travels, uh, and, thank, and congratulations, Will, on your first feature. Wonderful start. Uh, we'll see where you go from here. You're already in, <laughs> you know, you're already in the land of high mountains. Like, okay, you got to stay up there. Oh. <laughs> thank you so much, Wanda. I really appreciate having me on, and I uh, hope you have a great rest of the day. And it was great speaking with you, Bridget. And I look forward to seeing you on the 13th. <laughs> have a good day. <laughs> all right. You too. Peace and blessings. Ah, good morning, Bridget. What a wonderful film. Um, we are oh, not morning, I just thank love you. the I just love the title. <laughs> oh, thank you. Yeah, and then the story itself, oh my goodness, it is just so, so fascinating. Um I'm gonna read your bio first and then we can just start talking about this great film and the organization that you're a part of. I think I've heard of it. Um, you know, using film um as sort of a uh, a social um change tool and also, um, you know, helping, you know, giving people who might not be, have voice, voice through the characters, through these classic stories that um, that are used, um, you know, in the process. Um, so you are an artist and filmmaker strongly committed to using art for social change who has lived and worked in the Middle East for over 12 years, covering the Arab Spring in Egypt and Libya, as well as the refugee crisis as a result of the war in Syria through photography and video. Um, you sought out intimate stories to raise complex questions about sensitive issues. Your credits include The Guardian, New York Times, uh, Dizette, and short films, This Is Not Me, Enduring Syria's War. You have a degree in photography and imaging from New York University's Tisch School of the Arts and a master's of social documentation from the University of California, Santa Cruz. Uh, you co-filmed and co-directed your first feature, We Are Not Princesses. Oh, first feature. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, yeah, and, and it premiered um, at Doc New York City in November of last year, and you are a 2016 National Media Maker Fellow at uh, Bay Area Video. Oh, you are. Okay, I like that organization, Bay Area Video Coalition, and a fellow at IFP 2017 Doc Labs. What does IFP stand for? That's the Independent Film Project. Okay. They're an organization oh, you don't out live of here. New York. Yeah. Um, oh, you're in Boulder, Colorado. Colorado. Yeah, yeah, I see. Yeah. Oh, I thought you were a local filmmaker. <laughs> oh, my uh, maybe one producer of... is from the Bay Area. Oh. Sarah oh, okay. Mamouri, and yeah. who is that person? Hmm? Uh, her name's Sarah Mamori. She's uh, an editor and producer, and she's done an amazing mm-hmm. job helping me with this film. So she's uh, from the Bay Area. And as as you read, I had a fellowship at, at BayVac, the Bay Area Video Coalition. So between those mm-hmm. two ties, I do feel <laughs> like the film's home is San Francisco. So I'm very excited to bring it to uh, the Bay Area. 
Yeah, we are excited too. Um, so mm-hmm. tell us about about your film and and um, and your your co-director. Sure, sure. Um, so the film is about it's called We Are Not Princesses. It's about a group of Syrian women who put on the play Antigone in Beirut. But it's not about the the actual putting on of the play. It's about what happens behind mm-hmm. the scenes, how these women relate to these ancient characters, and how uh, this heroine inspires these women to stand up to patriarchal and societal authority. So Antigone, if you're not uh, familiar with the play, is about a woman caught in civil conflict. She's forced to choose between obeying the authority of the king and the right to bury her brother's body. So the central question is, within these systems of abusive and uh, overpowering authority, what separates Antigone's um, Antigone women like Antigone who um, don't keep their head down, who tur- who don't turn their power over to authority, who resist this power, and women like Antigone's sister who focus on keeping the, you know, saving their lives. So, you know, when the heat of danger is happening, what does, what do you choose? Do you keep your head down or do you stand up for what you believe in? So it's, mm-hmm. this, this film came out of uh, the theater workshop and we gave the women the script to read. And the next day they came rushing in and they said, there's no way that this film was written 2,500 years ago. This is our story. And it was that moment that Ifab and I know, knew what we wanted to make the film about. I mean, the film just immediately resonated with them. They immediately knew what we were trying to do to make this connection between what was happening in Syria and this ancient Greek story. Um, so Ifab is a... Um, Syrian filmmaker, and she and our producer, House Gardino, run an organization called Open Art Foundation, and they put on this mm-hmm. theater workshop in Beirut in 2014, and it started with a group of uh, 35 Syrian women, and uh, we paid them a, a living wage and as, mm. as working actresses, and we filmed over several months, and um, then in the end, they did perform in Beirut. And so the film, uh, the film follows four of the women and how they are inspired by Antigone to, you know, ch- these, it's these little changes in their lives that really add up to substantial, um, substantial changes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Maybe you could talk a little bit about, um, you know, these women um, and the ages, mm-hmm. their, their ages range. Um, um, from like 58 to 18 and no, 19, 18, 19. No, no, actually no, 16. Mm-hmm. Like there's like some teenagers. Most of the women are married. And, um, and one of the stories that um, when I, when I was reading um, some of the, cause you have like profiles of the women. Um, oh, why don't you give, um, give our audience the, the website so they can find it and they could, you know, look it up later and read. Cause you have a lot of wonderful material about, about the cast, about um, Open Art Foundation, and sure. and what the organization, you know, what it does, um, which is really beautiful, um, the way that artists use, you know, for healing, um, for uh, helping people sort of find their voices, and for, you know, looking at this play, like really creating some systemic change within the way that men and women um, are um, – 
you know, function within family. Like one woman said, yeah, we all work, you know. <laughs> I mean, you think about what are the yeah. benefits, if there are any, of, of being a refugee. And it's like, well, you know, all the young people, they work. Uh, and if I don't belong just to my 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 husband and my children. And and then right. the young woman who um, who lost her face um, scarf. And so she her husband said, well, you can't go anywhere. And she's like, right. And yeah, that those stories are super amazing, and because she doesn't oh, know what to do with herself when he when he says, you know, go ahead, take 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 our son to the hospital to the doctor, mm-hmm. and she's right. like, oh my goodness, you know, like what do I do? I'm free. Um, I'm like wow, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yes, as you mentioned, so we we follow four women, and then we have uh, several there's several stories that we tell through animation because um, mm-hmm. a couple of the women's husbands did not want them to be on film. So that mm-hmm. story that you mentioned is about an uh, 18-year-old, and uh, she arrives in Syria from, sorry, she arrives in Lebanon from Syria, and she's wearing the full face veil, but she loses it in uh, a storm while it's hanging on the laundry line. And so the story talks about how she um, builds up the courage to eventually to keep facing her husband and asking to go out and to go out. And um, then she finally is able to. And so we have, uh, you know, we still wanted to tell that story, even though she couldn't show her face. And animation was a a wonderful way of of doing that. And we also use animation to tell the Antigone-ness. And um, Mm -hmm. it also provides this dreamlike space for the women where they can be who they want to be, love who they want to love, dream about who they um, who they can be in the future and going back to Syria and also to be able to grieve openly. And um, so we, we worked with a Danish-Canadian company called Norlam to, they're behind one of, an Oscar-nominated film, Song of the Sea. So they helped us to do the animation uh, for this film. Mm. It's about, it's about a, mm. a 15 minutes animation in the, in the film. And it's a really these beautiful mm. vignettes that uh, that blend the dream like dream world with uh, reality. Mm-hmm. And uh, you asked about yeah. uh, Open Art Foundation. So yes, yes, there's organization out of the UK, and uh, they do put on plays and various theater workshops, and also um, our our film working with. How, because it, we believe that it's not enough just to give people food, clothing, and shelter. They're also, you know, people who have been through trauma and need a way to process that trauma and to heal. And working with these women in Syria, we were able to give them a space and a community, which is something that they had been deprived of uh, now being displaced in Lebanon. And all we did was give these women, you know, a tool. I mean, we just gave them the tools and they ran with it and they created the 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 entire um, play and um, mm-hmm. yeah it's really a wonderful oh. organization yeah I didn't know that um, the co-director is is a co-founder of Open Art Foundation yes. like oh yeah okay we so that, that was <laughs> yeah I lived in Syria in 2008 and nine, and Itaba's a, a neighbor of mine. She um, oh. became my friend, 
And so we, we were both colleagues working at UNHCR. I was a photographer there, and she was working to register the Iraqi refugees who had been arriving um, from uh, the war in the, in the neighboring, in Iraq. And she and I became friends. And then in 2014, I was working as a freelancer in Beirut, and she approached me with this project that she and Hal were putting on and asked uh, if I wanted to film it. And so we mm-hmm. decided to, yeah, follow the women and to kind of see what came out of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. And Hal um, uh, Gardino is the uh, other uh, co-founder and director of um, yeah. Open Art Foundation. Yeah. So um, so talk a little bit more about um, about these women and also the process. So there's a facilitator, uh, a man, um and 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 so he's leading the women through these various theater games, and um, mm-hmm. they're doing things that are both nonverbal and verbal because we see some of that, you know, in the film. Um, uh, and then and then you you go into the homes of the women, and we meet the husbands, and you know we see women smoking cigarettes, and um, and the younger ones, you know, saying like, you know, like emphatically, like, no, I'm not doing that. Let him cook his own dinner or whatever. <laughs> I'm like, wow, really? <laughs> That's right. cute. And um and yeah. then the children, you know, of um one of the women, I, I'm not certain which one she is. You open with her. Mona. She's the person Yeah. Yeah, Mona. Oh. Yeah, I, I like her. Yeah. <laughs> yes. 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 So she uh yeah, Mona is amazing so one of the opening scenes <laughs> uh her husband tries to says, why are you wearing makeup? And tries to wipe it off her. And she's just, you can see her running circles around him with her her, her intelligence. And um, she's very spunky. And so, yes, mm-hmm. these women were were um, just incredible. You know, I, I have to say that they really reminded me that there's goodness in the world. It's so easy to get bogged down with the depressing news coming out of Syria. But working with them was just the most amazing experience. I mean, we really... In this film, you know, we focus on not, we don't focus on what Syria has lost, but what Syria still has, these strong, amazing women picking up pieces of their society and moving forward. And that's what's going to help to rebuild Syria. Um, Mm -hmm. So there are four women. There's Mona, as you mentioned. And each of these Mm -hmm. women uh, relates to one of the characters in Antigone. And they really fiercely debate the story about whether Antigone was right. Was she wrong? Had she been a mother, would she have done, made the same decision? And you really see that they, they dive into the, the minutia and the details of the film. And it's, they all have different experiences. And it helps them to process their own stories when they hear uh, another woman's story and Antigone's story and all the, the other characters in the play it helps them to feel less isolated, and that really brought joy back to their lives. We see that they, they begin to laugh again, and when they go home, their, their children begin to laugh again because they're bringing that joy home. And mm-hmm. the, at the beginning of the right. process, you know, a lot of the women di- didn't want to play the, the games that we played, the, you know, the musical chair exercises, and they were, they were really afraid of being singled out and being, uh, you know, being uh, separated from the, the crowd. But by the end, mm-hmm. they were standing on stage telling their stories and uh, ex- openly expressing themselves for the first time. 
it was really a wonderful transformation to watch. Mm-hmm. Right, right, yeah, yeah. I um, I like I like the um, uh, the older uh, woman, uh, yes, Fadwa um, uh, Awati. Uh, yeah, and she talks about um, uh, it seems as if she's she's really led a full life, um, you know, and she's been. She has- you know, kind of her own woman, um, and not dominated necessarily. You know, she talks about, um, you know, I think um, is she the one that's taking care of? Is she the one that's taking care of the cat? Um, yes, or is that somebody yes, else? Yes. She and her daughter have a. Yeah, she's an amazing woman. She was the, the clearly the the matriarch of the whole of the group, and everyone called her mm-hmm. auntie, and she really mm-hmm. identified with the character of Creon the tyrannical king Mm. because she said that she wants order at all costs and she understands Mm. that why Creon made the choice the choices that he did because order is more important than chaos and and Mm -hmm. um she has this line and she quotes uh Creon a few times and then she jokes with this speech I could rule the country (laughs) she's talking about Syria (laughs) so she's she's clearly a very she's a very strong woman and um Mm -hmm. she has her daughter Heba with her, but they have. It, you learn in the film that she has lost uh, some of her children to the war, mm-hmm. and um, right. watching her go through the process of telling her story to uh, to the director of the play. It's really, it's really a moving scene. I don't want to give too mm-hmm. much away. <laughs> right, right, yeah, and then and then who is the. Uh... Who's the woman? It might might be Mona. I'm not sure. Who tells? Who has like these women? They have like these can these uh, material memories, like the shoes that you use to walk. Right. You know, right. out of your country. Yeah. Who? Who's? Yeah. And and there might be some other That's material Isra. things. But I'm just thinking about she's the shoes rapper. right now. Who's? It's, it's, it's oh. Name's Isra. Okay. She's a she's a rapper, and you you get to see her rap in the uh, film. She tells the story oh, okay. about nice. Is she the one born in Germany? Is is that her? Yes, yes, that's her. She's okay. born in Germany, and she's back mm-hmm. there now living. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah, she she flees Lebanon. She lived in Yarmouk, which is uh, a Palestinian neighborhood in outside of Damascus, and she went to her mm-hmm. uncle's house for lunch, and that's when they suddenly realized that they had to flee and she was all dressed up to go to lunch. So she had to wear these mm. four inch heels and walk for 14 hours to the, to the Lebanese border. And so she shows the heels mm. and tells the story. And then she writes a rap right. about, uh, about how she fled her, her home. And um, mm. yeah, we mm-hmm. get to yeah. watch it. Wow. Yeah. And she also talks about how her sister had on this really beautiful, um, white fur coat. Yeah, fur coat. Think, wow. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. And they, wow, yeah. I mean, they definitely of, didn't look. Yeah, they didn't look the like you might Syria. think about. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm sorry. Um, no, you know, they they trying mm-hmm. to shock audiences with gratuitous violence, and that really, I think, creates a separation between the audience, and you you begin to shut down. But with with these stories, we're trying to show. Uh, how these women they're not exceptional women they're just you know women are exceptional women are extraordinary even at their most ordinary Mm -hmm. and so we're showing these women you know just at home with their families and 
you know, cooking and being with their children and gossiping with each other at a cafe and, as you said, smoking cigarettes together on the stairwell. And it's just, it's trying to show that it's this, we need to be reminded of our common humanity. And, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's very sad that our our culture is dominated by fear mongering. And we, for, we need to still need to make films that show that other humans are human. But um, this film really, when you watch it, you say, I, I'm hoping that you'll be able to see that, that these women you know, just like us, and are you know appreciate uh, a, a good time at a cafe, and it's it's this this ordinariness that it's it's hard to separate to create to create them as other, as to create um, a division showing that you know they're they're exceptional, they're heroines, they have this, this right. uh, and and the rest of we're hoping that. It will create a, Let me a you really of our community. Sure. Yeah. Let me let our audience know that, um, you know, speaking to Bridget Auger um, about We Are Not Princesses, um, a film that's a part of the San Francisco Documentary Film Festival, um, and uh, it's screening on Sunday, this Sunday, June 9th at 4.45 p.m., and Thursday, June 13th at 7 p.m., and both screenings are at the Roxy uh uh, theater in San Francisco on Valencia, and will you be at both screenings? I will. Yes, I'm coming. I'm very excited. Okay. Yeah. Anyone yeah, else going to be? Um, yes, our editor Sarah Mamori and uh, producer mm-hmm. House Gardino will be there as well. Oh, super, super, awesome, awesome. Okay, great, yeah. great. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I. Um, so you mentioned. Um, um, you know that that the women uh, actors or actresses um, identify with the different characters. Um, not everyone identified necessarily with Antigone or her sister is uh, Ismene, um, and and then Creon, um, and then Creon. You know the ogre, or you know like you know he's normally like sort of cast in the bad the bad guy. So it's really interesting hearing that um, that there you know there were um, qualities of 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 his. Leadership because he's the dad um, that says um, is he the dad or he's just the ruler that oh he's he's the uncle right he's the uncle yeah he's the uncle yeah that says no you can't bear your brother and I guess the brother who um, uh, who um, Antigone is forbidden to bury he's also mm-hmm. a character right yeah so it's it's mm-hmm. that's the, the play is about these two brothers that kill each other in a civil conflict one. Mm-hmm. was cast out and he comes back and seeks revenge and so Antigone is torn does she and so Creon decrees that this man will not be buried because he's a traitor and Antigone says well he's my brother I'm going to bury him anyway and then she herself is sentenced to death mm-hmm. so that yes right, they're both characters right. and many of the women in the play say they have been through similar uh, circumstances where they've had to choose between family members, um, Fedwa talks about how her husband, sorry, um, her son was killed and left outside. His body was left to rot. And she says, believe me, believe me, any mother or sister would go through sniper fire and shelling to drag the body and bury him where he fell. It's, it's so important to have that, that, um, that mm-hmm. burial of the body. And Mona talks about her son dies during the, the conflict and she's unable to give him a gravestone and she still feels that she's not able to 
grieve because of this. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And um, and there's there's so so much ritual and ceremony connected to uh, to birth and to death. Um, there's something right. about the body, right? The actual physicality of the thing right. that carries our spirit for the moment right. that we are in this particular um, you know iteration. That like to not honor the, the entrance and not honor the exit. It's like whoa, like you just sort of just left in limbo, you know, as as mm-hmm. the the loved one that's still here. Like, wow, like to have your yeah. your loved one's body, you know, eaten by pigs, you know, which is what um um my other guests will talk about, you know, if if they if the, if um in the in the uh, in Haiti if if the person wasn't buried or um you know um or you know, in in you know in in Syria in in Lebanon, then you know if we're like looking at that, like a person who dies in a war in war, a lot of times people don't I mean like most often people don't get buried because you're like rushing, you know, like you're trying to like get mm-hmm. to safety. So like you think about all of the dead that are left right. on the field that you love, right. but you got to keep moving. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Yeah. When when we filmed this in 2014, you know, it was the women had had come to Lebanon, and although it was um, isolating, you know, they were they were mm-hmm. safe for the first time, and it was kind of the first time they could pause, and really mm-hmm. they were overwhelmed by all the trauma that they had been through and the loss. Mm-hmm. It was you know we were yeah. obviously talking about death and loss, and so they they had this. Um, a time, you know, a time and space where they could really grieve and feel and, and feel that trauma that they had just been moving, 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 you know, one speak, living one moment at a time, trying to keep keep uh, their children and their family members safe. But once they arrived in Lebanon, mm-hmm. it was this this period where they were like, oh, you know, this war is not going to end soon. We may be here, we may be displaced, we may be refugees for a long time. And that was a, a hard uh, question that they were reckoning with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, talk a little bit about Intisar. Um, Yeah, and, you know, there's one of the questions you ask, you know, you ask the women all the, you know, same list of questions. Um, how old are they? Where are they from? Their marital status? Uh, she's married. How many children? The hobbies, interests? How long have they been in Beirut? Beirut? Um, what do they miss most about Syria? And she writes... She says everything, everything, everything. I even miss the rubbish and the dirt of Syria. I'm like, yeah, mm-hmm. wow, yeah. Mm-hmm. So maybe you, you, maybe you could talk about just sort of, um, you know, just a sense of of loss and mm-hmm. and grieving yeah, over, yeah. like just actually, yeah, and, and sort of like what came out for you as a director, um, you know, because this work, this is like emotional work. This is not just making a movie. Because <laughs> this is like people's lives are right, are right. being, you know, I, I like help. The story is helping them sort of talk about their lives. Oh. Sorry, say that again. I interrupted you. Sorry, I missed oh, no, I'm sorry. some of that. I just wanted to say no, that, ahead. you know, I, I wanted to tell your audience that this is not just another depressing serial film. You know, this this film has... It's very full of humor, and these women are oh, yeah. in, in, hilarious mm-hmm. and sassy. So, and we really um, worked hard to to show these women not as you know another crying Syrian woman on television, but to show their their um, incredible strength and sense of humor. 
um, mm-hmm. I was going to talk about the the um, the change that they went through from leaving Syria to becoming a refugee in Lebanon changed the 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 kind of the fabric of Syrian society. These women, when they were in Syria, they were had a much more sheltered lifestyle. They stayed home. Mm-hmm. They um, didn't go out much for you know shopping and groceries and things like that. But when they came to Lebanon, and their their the, whichever male member of their family's income was taken away, now they had to go out into the workplace. And you they during the theater workshop they debate this issue about whether life was better in Syria or in now and how these changes and it really it's a com- it's a complex um, issue uh, about about whether leaving Syria you know changed their lives for the better or for the worse because there's it's not just I mean yes they lost um, what was their home and their, their comfort of that but they were thrust into this much more independent uh, way of living when they arrived mm-hmm. in Lebanon yeah yeah their lives really changed they were not yeah, yeah, they weren't cloistered anymore. I mean, it was just amazing when one woman said, "Yeah, I, I, you know, I never went shopping. Now I go shopping." Um, yeah, and and you know, talking about you know, sort of shortcuts in the cooking. Like I used to do this, but I don't have time because I got to go to work. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I so I do it like <laughs> this now, and yeah, yeah, it just seemed. Uh, really liberating. Sort of reminds me of you know during the uh, World War II, the war industry, and how you know women went to work you know in the uh, the shipyards mm-hmm. and in factories because the men were at war, and and in the and you know they have all these these needs, and and so they were you know courted as um, you know the uh, the new labor force, and when the men came back, it was like, well, heck no, I'm not going back in the kitchen. Right. Like I kind of like being out here, you know, like making my own decisions, having a having a say in my life, and things like that. It's sort of, yeah. um, I mean, not for everyone necessarily, but a great majority of women were they felt liberated. Yeah. And a lot of times, economics are are connected to liberation, right? When you have no money, you're dependent on somebody. You are not free necessarily, but once you have your own money, (laughs) and you are contributing Mm -hmm. to the the, the running uh, and and the function of your household, then you get a whole nother level of respect too. Yeah, Mona says at one point, you know, I'm I became Antigone last night. I got home tired from rehearsal, and my husband said, "What's for dinner?" And I said, "You can cook your own dinner. I'm tired. I'm going to rest." So. <laughs> she really flipped the script on that. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So um, obviously, you know, it was intentional, um, you know, having this particular story. Um, So if you could talk about how, you know, um, how the uh, uh, Open Art Foundation, um, how it how it did what it did, like you know, have the Antigone is the story, and like, yeah, how did how did it how did all this happen? Sure. Uh, Hal and Utab had worked on a play of, um, in Jordan the year before, and they wanted to do a play in Lebanon mm. focusing on uh, the women as heroines. And Antigone was the perfect story for that. And mm. uh, Sophocles himself was a, was a general, and he wrote these plays to help his soldiers and their society make sense after decades of conflict and war. The, the performances of his plays 
um, when they were performed in the in the society, helped the soldiers to reintegrate and also the families to understand what these soldiers had been through. So uh, mm-hmm. these Greek plays are, um, you know, a perfect mirror of what of Syrian society is going through right now. And um, they part. Uh, so the Open Art Foundation partnered with the local Lebanese NGO and worked with to gather women from the Shatila refugee camp uh, in in Beirut. And mm-hmm. they talked to the women, started with 35, and after a few months, about 25 performed. And uh, it was a several-month process, and they were paid a living wage and came to work every day. We provided transportation and a nursery for the children to oh, child care. play in. Nice. Yeah, child care, yeah. And... Uh, the the performance was held in Beirut, and it was one mm-hmm. the women kept saying over and over again was that this was a, a wonderful experience for them to be able to leave the camp because I mean it mm-hmm. takes money and resources to to leave the camp, and they ha- didn't really have any reason to go to other parts of of Beirut, and they would have never seen mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. this this part of Beirut. I mean, Lebanese society. Is, is very. I mean, the the neighborhoods in Beirut are very different from each other, and it would a Syrian woman living in Shatila would be she's looked at sideways if she ends up in some other neighborhoods. So for mm-hmm. them coming coming to rehearsal every day really offered a wonderful opportunity for them to to get out of the camps mm-hmm. and oh. um, also to be you know performing on stage. Um, you see Mona talking about how nervous she is. And her husband makes mm-hmm. a joke. He says, oh, you're nervous because your husband won't be with you. <laughs> and she says, what do you mean you're not going to be with me? And he says, I'm only going to come to see you one time. You know, <laughs> um, you know it's, it's a really proud moment for them to be able to show that they they were doing this. And um, when Mona saw the film, you know, I asked, I, I talked to her. I talked to these women still very regularly. Oh, and um, oh, I asked Mona, you know, what what do you think of the film? Because people ask me at Q and A's, you know, what what you thought, and she mm-hmm. just she says, you know, I'm, she's so proud that she was able to do something with her life, and that her children will mm-hmm. see this and know that she um, she she was part of this project, and that her story was told, and that they'll also remember mm-hmm. their brother and learn that story. And she's mm-hmm. since had a, a another baby, a little girl named Mira. So she's very she's she's uh, she's moving on with her life. And this this film was a wonder was a, a a wonderful time in her life. She really remembers it fondly, and and always asks me, mm-hmm. when can we do it again? <laughs> mhm. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Oh wow. I mean, it seems like going back to the day to day could be really anticlimactic after. You know, having this wonderful experience. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and the women prior to um, this project, did they know each other? No, they didn't. They didn't. A lot of them were very isolated and just so afraid to, Mm. you know, because during that time, really, you know, there were so many, there are so many sides to the war and no one knew who to trust. They didn't know. Who to, if we were trustworthy or if their neighbors were trustworthy or who would, you know, was talking to the regime to, to tell them who was mm-hmm. here and who had fled. And, right, so mm-hmm. they were afraid to, to talk to anyone and to, 
to, to just be with other people and there's no way for them to, to create community. So mm. um, to be able to come to, uh, to the rehearsals and to find other women to talk to was, uh, was a wonderful experience for them. Yeah. So and they, they gradually anyway. warmed to the camera. You oh, know, uh-huh. say that they they were afraid of us at the beginning. Why are you filming us? Who are you? Mm. Just, are you pro regime? Are you anti regime? And oh, and gradually wow. they realized. Yeah. You know, I I was very I, I was filming and I said, you know, if you don't want to be on film on camera, you know, we won't we won't put you. And then some women decided, no, I want to tell my story. Film me. You know, I want to be. <laughs> uh huh. Yeah. Yeah, really, really nice. Um, yeah, I was looking, um, you know, that um, Augusto Ball is, um, I guess, philosophically um, uh, uh, around, you know, um, theater of the oppressed and, and theater mm-hmm. as uh, legislation and, and change and how you can change the characters, um, you know, the one that society has, has given you the script for, you can do that consciously. You know, in theater, and I was just wondering, is that some of the process as well in in this organization? Um, uh, you know, in this use of the arts. Sure. Yeah. I mean, we really feel strongly that it's 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 not enough just to meet people's basic needs. That mm-hmm. people need a space to heal and to grieve, and through mm-hmm. art, and through film, and through um, drama, theater. It's it's a the way to build community and to bring people into a space where they can safely do that. So mm-hmm. you know, many organizations focus on you know, emergency shelter, emergency food supply, and that's and that's very important. But there's there's more work that needs to be done. People need more than just their basic needs met. So our organization does uh, does that work. Mm-hmm. And our yeah, website is yeah. uh, wearenotprincesses.com. You can find uh, more about the Open Art Foundation and the work that it does. And we're also um, on on Facebook, We Are Not Princesses. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And um, and then I was reading on the um, the website that during uh, I'm actually looking at openartfoundation.org because there's a Mm-hmm. There's a, a pull down on the projects. <laughs> we and our princesses, yeah. uh, Syria recipes from home, and uh, yes, Antigone of Syria, a wonderful cook, and really great photos. She released hmm? oh Syria. Uh, sorry, Itab is a wonderful cook, and she released a oh. cookery book called Syria recipes mm. from home, and it features several mm. of the stories of the women featured in the film. And um, mm-hmm. she and mm-hmm. Dina Musawi, who was also involved in the play as, as one of the actors' trainers, she um, they traveled around uh, the UK and as well as Lebanon, collecting recipes from women. And mm-hmm. uh, and it's a beautiful, beautiful book that features wonderful photography and uh, stories as well as delicious recipes. Mm-hmm. Are those your photo- your photographs? Uh, some of them, yes. Some of them by mm-hmm. um, another photographer. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And and um, on that on the page that I was looking at is talking about how during the eight week drama workshop in Beirut in 2014, um, 
the children weren't just being, you know, put in front of a television and told to be quiet. Um, there were uh, there were some art therapists working with the kids to help them explore their artistic side. And so there are some wonderful photographs of the art that the children made. Like some of them, like they have a face painting and they have um, pictures that they painted and other types of wonderful work um, that was created during the time when they're, oh, they have some things made out of clay um, and, and, um, you know, some mixed media on paper. Um, So they were having a good time, you know, exploring their creative creativity. (laughs) Yeah, it was wonderful to watch these children come to life again and really play again. They had it, they had it really, they had, you know, had to be so, so at, you know, be adults and they really Mm -hmm. could loosen up and be like children again and play and create art and be silly and creative. And I think Mm -hmm. they, they played off the, the energy that their mothers were, were releasing. Once these mothers relaxed, then the children really relaxed and uh, came to life. Mm -hmm. Yes. They created some wonderful, wonderful art. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So what's next for you? Um, uh, I just had a baby. <laughs> so that's oh, my, really? My, uh, oh, wow. Congratulations. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> um, and I'm also working on a film, um, filming with director Rebecca Byerly called Women of the Mountain. It's about her journey breaking cycles of domestic violence in her family in North Carolina. Oh. We've been working on that for oh. several years. And uh, it's a really uh, quite dramatic, moving story of how she starts out as an ultra marathon runner, and finally realizes mm-hmm. that running 200, 250 miles isn't going to heal her from her family's pain. So she goes back to mm-hmm. North Carolina and investigates the the very violent history of on her paternal and maternal sides, and mm-hmm. goes through and interviews and try in her own father's violence and tries to to really to talk to them and figure out why and how Mm -hmm. how they're going to break these cycles so it's not passed down to the generation um the next generation so it's it's a really well incredible story that rebecca byerly is working on i'm honored to be a part of it oh wow what's the uh what's the uh the subject's name oh her name is rebecca byerly and the film's called women of the mountain so we're going to finish production yeah. this summer, and um, hopefully oh. it'll be out next year. One of the mountain. Okay. And how do you spell her last name, Rebecca's last name? B-Y-E-R-L-Y. B-Y-E-R-L-Y? Okay. Yes. Oh, wow. So so 2020, perhaps? Okay. Yes. Awesome. Yeah, yeah I am very it's interested, good. so keep me in the loop. I'm going to put you in my calendar. Sure. Okay. Get okay. it done. <laughs> Okay. Yeah, it's a very poignant story oh. given everything that's going on with the Me Too movement and and everything. Yeah, a beautiful, mm-hmm. a beautiful, heartbreaking story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and you know, thematically, um, you know, dominance and and violence, um, you know, they're they're a part of this story because there's war, right? But then, even if there wasn't war, um, you know, these women were not free. Um, in the lives that the way they were conscripted, um, you know, because of the culture that they are part of. I mean, the one woman, you know, being married at 14, I think she had, right. Um, right. 
what did she have like four children? Um yeah, the, five you children. know the story five we told sons, us. Yeah. Five yeah. five sons and she got married at fourteen. Mm-hmm. She's nineteen when she's um we meet her on the screen. Yeah, and she's the young woman who um she talks about how when she gets to they have to move and when they get to um uh to Lebanon to I guess Beirut, um they, they they rent a flat, but there's no windows, no electricity, no running water, and it's storming. And mm-hmm. so that's when she decides to do laundry, and 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 um and you know it's, it's really windy, and so her her outer um, scarf blows away. You know, as we already spoke of. But like, wow! I mean, I was wondering like, how mm-hmm. old is her husband? Um, to myself when I'm when I'm thinking it's like how old is he? And then and then she's got an yeah. uncle too. It's like oh yeah, hmm. how yeah. old is he? <laughs> oh, he's probably ten years older than her. So still young. Oh, not a whole lot older. Just wow. No. Yeah. Yeah, hmm. and the, the um, that's an example of you know where animation comes in with her story, and then we'll follow the other animated story. She's mm-hmm. married um, to a man she does not love, and she fantasizes mm-hmm. about um, in the play Antigone uh, came on. Antigone is Antigone's lover, and so she dream. She writes a letter in the voice of Ant- uh, the voice of Hamon. So it's the way she dreams about a man writing to her, and it's a very moving mm-hmm. letter about mm-hmm. love and about you know just this very childlike simple, innocent love that she wishes she had. It's really, that's mm-hmm. that's where I talk when I mean uh, the dream world, where she can, mm-hmm. when, when animation comes in, it gives access to that dream world, and she can love whoever she wants to love. She's not in a loveless mm-hmm. marriage with her children. She's, you know, uh, in a world where a man treats her with love and respect. Mm-hmm. Really, one, yeah, of, yeah. one of my favorite parts of the film. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I haven't watched the whole film, um, so I don't know that part. So I'm looking forward to seeing it on the big screen. Um, but okay. so the part that I did see um, was, and I really, really appreciate it. And I'm going to let you go because I'm like, we are way over. But anyway, it's been really great. <laughs> You're indulging me. <laughs> um, I I really love the part where. Um, um, I don't know which woman is saying it, but um, this this is not in the um, uh, in the animated part. Um, and she talks about I think it's not an animated part. It could be um, this person. This this uh, particular character talks about how um, you know um, living outside of Syria, um, the women are there because they choose to be there. And um, like if they get married and they and they and they choose to be you know to be with this particular person because they love him, um, as opposed to um, it being you know some kind of political arrangement you know by by you know families. Um, and I don't know who who was talking about that about love in in marriage or relationships. Yeah, uh, Mona and Isra are having a debate oh, during okay. one of the rehearsals mm-hmm. about. About when you're when you're earning your own money, it shows your husband oh. that you're with him for love. It's not that okay. you're with him because you're dependent upon him for financial reasons, mm-hmm. and so mm-hmm. that changes the dynamic of the relationship. And that's what they're talking right. about. 
mm-hmm. about how life changed once they left Syria and arrived in Lebanon as refugees. Mm-hmm. That yeah, they, yeah. when they went out into the workplace. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just was thinking about Muhammad Yunus, you know, sort of the, uh, he's credited with um, uh, uh, inventing microcredit as a concept. Yeah. Um, and, and, and when he was in Bangladesh, right, you know, where um, um, the uh, organization, um, which is, I'm drawing a blank right now, it'll come to me, um, when he started um Grameen Bank, um, you know, he, he loaned money to women, and this is a Muslim country too, right? And these men are like, and because he said, you know, if you loan money to women, then they're going to take care of their children and their families. You loan money to men, right. who knows? They might not touch right. the family before it goes out somewhere else. <laughs> yeah, and but, it, but when you think about um, just having, you know, women, and it was like not just loaning money, it was like a whole cultural movement, and, and, and it's like a whole – way of looking at relationships differently when these women got the money and they and, and other and men got you know loans too and they paid them back but when you look at how the women were one you know were perceived after that cuz they had their own businesses and then they were able to put their daughters in school and as well as their sons it just sort of changed everything and so i'm just thinking like these women that they were employed to make art like wow, this is really cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just really revolutionary. And so far as I mean, it's not like it hasn't been thought of before, but it just it just took a little bit, right, to really really interrupt something that wasn't necessarily stable or good for the family and for these women. Yes, yes. I mean, Syria has a very mm-hmm. rich art culture of poetry and painting and mm-hmm. playwriting and and. Uh, obviously, a, lo- a long history of that, and these mm-hmm. women, um, although they didn't know about the Greek play, you know, they had a, a clear appreciation for for and an instant connection with the theater and the play, mm-hmm. and really understood immediately the connections that we were trying to make, and it wasn't it wasn't us. You know, they were the leaders of the, the, the workshop. You know, it wasn't us um, telling them anything what to say. You know, Israel says in the film, like, I want to say something to the media. You know, these are our stories. We're telling them. We're mm-hmm. writing them. You know, the people in the workshop, they're helping us edit them and telling us where to cut and where to, to make something longer. But these are these are our stories. And mm-hmm. their, their sense oh, of pride of being able to tell their stories is Mhm. Yeah, yeah. Well, well I I hope, you know, some more money will, you know, be available so that, you know, the women can continue, you know, their work, you know, um, you know, maybe um, you know, sort of under their own leadership or in, in concert with this nonprofit that um that, you know, the organization that you're a part of, um, the Open yeah. Art Foundation. Um partnered with maybe you know because it'd be it's really a shame like after having so much fun <laughs> and doing so much yeah. like really like you know important work you know um, like soul kind of work right to then have right. to go back to the way things were I mean the things are not ever like that but it's just like oh this is just a good memory right but no you want to make it a part of the reality a part of what you do now but right. you know th- that involves resources Yes. Well, some of the women are in, uh, so Heba is living in Sweden now, 
and Isra is mm-hmm. in Germany. And um, mm-hmm. my dreams with the film is to go to communities in Europe and in the U.S. with refugees, not just from Syria, but from you know, all, mm-hmm. all countries, and to show the film yeah. and to have really difficult conversations afterwards about you know, racism mm-hmm. and Islamophobia and just you know, fear of um, refugees. And to, because I believe that once you see a film like this, you know, there's a space opens in your heart and you have, you have a moment afterwards where you, you're feeling something and you can go home afterwards Mm -hmm. or you can have a conversation. And I want to bring refugees and non-refugee communities together to, to have this difficult conversation. I mean, this is a very micro level work I'm talking about, but I think that's what's needed right now. It's, um, you know, Mm -hmm. to have a refugee say, yes, this is my experience and to have, whatever local resident from wherever say, well, I don't know you, I don't know your culture and I'm afraid. And I've seen something on the news that I'm afraid of. And so, and, you know, by having that point of connection in that difficult discussion, you can, you can, um, you know, can tra- transmute it. So I would mm-hmm. like to take the film into communities around Europe after the festival circuit and to, 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 take it to Europe and uh, as well as around the U.S. and have those mm-hmm. difficult conversations. Yeah. Oh, okay, that sounds excellent. Do you know um, the Red Poppy House? Um, it's like an arts, um, cultural no. sort of like institute right there in, in the Mission in San Francisco. Yeah, they just did a really wonderful series on um, art in exile and, and looked at, um, you know, artists that are – are from, you know, elsewhere, like, you know, people who are refugees, people who are, um, you know, mm-hmm. displaced. And, um, yeah, there was a concert, two concerts. One featured all women, and, and then another, the one before that, um, uh, featured people from other, you know, both men and women artists. And then there was a big community um, sort of uh, arts weekend where they had workshops and art making, and then there was... Uh, actual concert. Yeah, I'll introduce you to the um oh, to the director and uh, cuz um, I think this will that will this will be perfect for for um because this already already happened and, and so there's a there's an audience for it here in San Francisco. So I think um it'll be oh, a really wonderful. good good mix. Yeah. Well, cool. Well, I look forward to meeting you and and thank, thank you, you so much for the work and um Congratulations on your baby, and are you bringing your baby with you? <laughs> yes, we're traveling tomorrow. <laughs> oh, it'll be the first first trip on the airplane? Actually, we went to the Boston uh, Film Festival, in, in, uh, Independent Film Festival of Boston, and that was the first time I got to see the film in a theater and with an audience. So oh. this will be the second time. Oh, yeah. Oh, that, that was nice. Did you have folks um, in the audience, like is there any outreach to um, – to the Syrian community, um, you know, in these various areas where the film is screening so people can come see it that, you know, might want to sort of like have a little little taste of home, you know, with some, yeah, you know, with some comrades. We, yeah, we have been in touch with um, some communities and hope to see a, a good showing of, of Syrians to see what they think. Yeah, cool, cool. Well, safe travels, and, uh, yeah, thank you so much for this wonderful conversation. Thank you. I really appreciate your, continued. your support of the film. <laughs> yes. Yes, I'll be in touch. All right, cool. Will you take okay. good care? Thank you so much. Look forward to meeting you again. Are you welcome? Okay. Peace and blessings. Bye-bye. Bye. 
So, gosh, that was a wonderful conversation. Um, and this is a wonderful film. You don't want to miss it. We are not princesses. Um, Bridget Auger, um, Utah Awesome. 75 minutes, and again, it's Sunday, June 9th, 4.45 p.m., and Thursday, June 13th, 7 p.m., and some other really good films happening on Sunday are Our Bodies, Our Doctors on Sunday, June 9th at 7 p.m., same, uh, no, different time, you can do both, you can do the 4.45, and then you can see the um, the 7 p.m. after that, and then also for Our Bodies, Our Doctors is screening on Monday, June 10th at 7 and again, don't forget Bill Trailer, Chasing Ghosts. Jeffrey Wolf is the director. He's going to be in town with um, with his wife Jeannie, who is a producer. And the film is 76 minutes. Again, it's screening Saturday, June 8th at 2:30 p.m. And that's the only screening. And it's going to be preceded by We Waited Until Nightfall, 17 minutes short. Um, let's see, anything else I want to highlight? Oh, there's so many good films. You need to just visit uh, com or sfnd.org. Let me look really quickly. Ah, yeah, sfnd.com. I remember correctly. All righty. And, and don't forget the uh, San Francisco Black Film Festival is kicking off with um, a tribute to Jeff Adachi on the 12th. That's a free event. You need to go online. It's for media, but I'm sure they won't kick you out. So go online and RSVP for that. Um, uh, SFBFF.org. Um, and and I just noticed that there is the Women of Color Film Festival next week. I'm like, oh, my goodness, and that is at Brava. And that happens every year. And I don't know how come I didn't know about it, but I know I do. So that's happening as well. So you have to make some choices. Oh, my goodness. Oh, it's great to have choices. It's great to have choices amongst things that are just fabulous. And tonight, um, no, not tonight. Is it tonight or next week? Um, I think it's, no, actually it's tonight. No, next week. Anyway, Joyce Gordon Gallery uh, is featuring the work of Ebony Iman Dallas, and that show is up today. And um, I think opening night, I think the artist reception, oh, this is the first Friday. It, is this the first Friday? Uh, yes, it is. So um, I'm sure the gallery will be open. You can see this wonderful exhibit. She is fabulous, and I haven't seen Ebony Iman Dallas's work in a long time. So I am rambling. Uh, thank you so much for tuning in to another edition of Wanda's Picks. You take good care. I was looking to see if I could play a song, and I don't know which one to play. Um, let's see if I can find something really quickly. Um, I think I'm going to play uh, Amakela uh, Gaston's um, Lovely Day. I like that one. Um, just saw it, just lost it. <laughs> uh, let me find it really quickly. Lovely Day by Bill Withers. Really uh, great song. And uh, lovely. Oh, here we go. All righty, you take good care. Peace and blessings.
Peace. 